For the last year, Baz has faced horror and won. Now, Baz will finish. <laughs> My nervous system is at your disposal. Mm. Uh, to be mocked by the fucking idiots that listen to this podcast. This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode number two of year three of Baz v Halloween for those keeping score out there. Last week the Baz drew at the end of it after an agonising contest. um, The scores ended up being one each. Um, The movie that managed to successfully win over Baz was the the fantastic um, The Girl Next Door and the the movie that Baz whipped into submission was The Fourth Kind. So we are back again this week to look at another two movies. The first feature movie of this episode will be The Devil's Backbone by horror auteur Guillermo del Toro and the second movie, the film footage feature of this show is Nuri the Curse. Um, I think I prattled on quite a long, but I think it's, yeah, about a minute, so I think it's time to introduce the star of this episode. He is, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Watashi no Sekushina Gucci Konnichiwa! That was actually really good. Kapow! We got Japanese there, Daniel-san! Oh, I know, I know some Japanese, so I was, I, I was, I was waiting to see how you were going to go with it. I was like, he's bound to make a, a little slip-up. There's always pronunciation issues with the Japanese, but no, you pretty much nailed that. Well done, sir. That was, uh, I even removed the robotic overtones of Google Translate and threw in my own, <laughs> my own personal swagger to it, Duncan. I, I hope you know that if you had said that in Japan, that would have been considered deeply offensive as you didn't use any of the inflections and you were kind of like cheery. Japanese people are not cheery when they talk, especially yeah, they, the men. The men sound quite angry when they talk. They can just can suck my hairy clangers. I'm trying to fucking <laughs> embrace their culture here. Do you know what I mean? By ridiculing it. Um, <laughs> the only reason I didn't do the Spanish one, because obviously there's, for those that don't know, we're, we're approaching, there's a Spanish film and a Japanese film in this one. I could have gone down the Spanish road, but I fucking hate the Spanish, so I went with the Japanese. <laughs> Got me some slack. You, you love the Japanese, don't you, Baz? Not really. <laughs> You're like Willy Still from... not forgiving them for that fucking railroad thing they built during the war. <laughs> You're Cunts. like... You're like uh, Willie from The Simpsons, who goes on about all the all the different races that the Scots hate. We hate the English, we hate the Welsh, we hate the Americans, and he's like that. Uh, the, the Scot- <laughs> Scotland would be a great place if it, if it wasn't full of Scots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what you're like, Baz. Not a tolerant person, but we love you. Never change, never change, never change. I won't. Right, so we are one behind oh. uh, on this already, and yep. we shattered the fourth wall on the last show, like completely shattered it, um, yep. by saying that you know we're recording this like 
not just over 24 hours removed from the previous recording, so you've crammed yep. another two horror movies in like a fucking champ. <laughs> yep. Um, it's been a motherfucker of a weekend, Duncan, let me tell you. <laughs> a motherfucker of a weekend. So, so how are you feeling um, coming into this? Well, how were you feeling coming into the second round? I mean, you were in a, a better position than... Were you in a better position? Now, I think every year, now that I'm thinking about this, every year you've went into the second episode... Um, one each. One each, except for the first yeah. season where you lost, obviously, because we only did it on one feature. But there's on every oh, first yeah, episode, yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. been a movie yeah. that has managed to, to get one over you. Ironically enough, this is the first season where the movie that wasn't a found footage and the first episode was the one that... Yeah. That got you, which is quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, that's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I was doing okay. I, I really enjoyed the recording yesterday, actually. We had a good chat about those two films, and that always helps. Sometimes if the films have been gash, it can at least have flat kind of episodes. Well, not that any of our episodes are flat. Our episodes well, are fucking amazing, do you know what I mean? Thank you. It, 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 it sometimes can lead to a slightly less fucking amazing episode. <laughs> um, you know, maybe hitting about eight on the fucking amazing scale rather than, you know, a full ten or eleven. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, no, but I, I really enjoyed the chats we had about those films yesterday, um, and I felt like I really nailed the films as well. I, I, I was pleased so, so. by, um, you know, how I, how I got the films, despite the fact I was beaten by one, but I don't take any fucking shame in that, do you know what I mean? It's not a very pleasant film at points. Um, so, yeah, no, so that was okay. Uh, so, I, so I settled down last night and watched the first, and I did the second one this morning. But more, more of that to come. Yeah, definitely, and... I'll be honest, of all the episodes we're recording, this is the one. These two movies are the ones that I'm really not expecting much in the way of of terror towards you. I may be wrong, but yeah. um, The Devil's Backbone really was chosen because we've been meaning to talk about this movie for ages and if I wasn't going to arrive here, it was going to be about another year before we managed to find a way to segue the devil's backbone in so that was purely picked because of that um, yeah. and I am genuinely curious as to how you coped with the curse because it is a movie I saw a long time ago uh, and I watched it again last night and I feel exactly the same way not many movies can hold up for me you know mm-hmm. home, 11 years later but it held up exactly the same way as yeah. it was the first time I watched it and um how, of, how did you how did you come across that film just out of interest? Um, there was a horror blog uh, back in the day, which back at back when folk read blogs. Yeah, but when people <laughs> had blogs, not podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a horror blog that I used to be like kind of obsessed with. Um, that doesn't that... sound like you at all, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck my life! <laughs> but, uh, you know, like you're the third person this week to tell me that I maybe have an obsessive personality about things, and <laughs> uh, that manner that you just handled it, just kind of like a throwaway comment. Oh, that doesn't sound like you, but you know fine well it is. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the the person in question used to to review movies from all over the world and. This the really interesting thing about the course is that it predates paranormal activity and predates the Poughkeepsie, um, mm-hmm. the Poughkeepsie tapes. So it's really, in some respects, I, and there's elements of that movie in both those movies. Yeah. Um, 
that I, I, I just never got I never got really that far outside Japan um, mm. and I managed to track it down back then it wasn't even torrent she had to like wait like three days to download a movie illegally yeah yeah um, and I managed to find someone that had it uh, with with the subtitles hard coded into it and I sat down and watched it and I used to I like when film footage was first kind of kicking kicking into the stage it's at now I got quite ravenous for them. I remember telling you that I had a blog of sorts. It was a pretty pish blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but on that, in one weekend, I reviewed the first Paranormal Activity movie in Poughkeepsie. Um, just because this guy had mentioned them as being kind of two found footage movies to look out for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's that's how I came across it. It's still, even to this day, a very underseen movie. A lot of people yeah. have not seen this. But the main reason I chose it was that we've ever only ever done one Japanese horror movie on this show. Yes. And that yeah. boggles my mind. Um, mm. like I am a huge fan of Asian cinema, a massive fan of Japanese horror. But And the one that we picked was one that I'm, I don't particularly like, Dion the Grudge, the, the original. I think that the remake actually addresses a lot of the issues that I have with it. But yeah, you, that, that was actually the listener's choice, that wasn't it? That's right. And but you just did not like it at all. You just thought it was all over uh, the place. Yeah, yeah. And I remember at the time you in particular you saying, "I wish we'd just done the remake." Yeah, the remake's um, much better. The remake's yeah. much better. And ironically, done by the same director as well. Pretty yeah. much the same cast, same director, but because he changed things, like like Japanese cinema, you can jump back and forward, and like the timelines can be all messed up. And people just accept that as that's how stories are told. Um, whereas a Western approach to, to storytelling tends to be far more linear. Um, I think that's that has been... I think that was the big issue with, with you on us. It was basically four different stories all intermixed that did kind of meet, but there was no clear defining thing of right now we're going back in time to this bit that leads to this it was just showing you scenes as if this is the naturally how you would cut a movie um, and it was very weird but we'll, we will we will uh, we will see how you get on with uh, the curse because yeah. we're, we're tangent we're tangenting like a motherfucker right we, now dunk we really are we really are and i feel like i, I feel like we're just kind of we're delaying the inevitable which is let's get through this episode see how the chips fall let's keep our fingers crossed that maybe halloween can score a point i would love for this to be a draw going into the next episode because the next episode will be will be very interesting I said that with an evil smile. Mm. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But <laughs> Baz, have you got anything else you would like to say? Granted that we spoke less than 24 hours. <laughs> Do you have anything? Yeah, yeah, no. Literally nothing's happened. I watched these two films. That's pretty much been my last 24 hours. <laughs> right. So what we will do is we'll take a short break just now. We will play promos for shows that we love. You will also hear the trailer for our first movie review. This is The Devil's Backbone from 2001 by Guillermo del Toro. Myself and the Baz coming right back right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. 
visit www.krugernation.com. Hello? Hello, who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? Try and try and stay to the end of this film, we dare you. No problem, son. No fucking problem at all. And I'm putting my notes, I'm quite unnerved at this point. The big bang, and like the, the camera kind of shudders, so there's a kind of movement to this bang. And at this point, I was quite freaked out, I think. I've written here, right, the go get Arturo Brackett's Oscar's brother and go to house. Out come the Glocks. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus wept. This time she's just dragged right down the stairs and right into that cellar that we've seen previously kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written here, shat myself. They use a Simon toy as a Ouija board. And I've written here, right after that, beyond shite. So they get out of the old faithful Ouija board, and it never ends well. Uh, no, I've, I've that... I don't think a Ouija board has ever been brought out anywhere, either on television or in real life, and ended well, by the way. Just don't ever fucking get one, kids. At this point, I had one of my little involuntary shits. Oh, yes, Um Um, and my Avast virus database has just told me it's updated there and scared seven shades of shit right out of me. <laughs> I fucking hate computers. We then go back to what I'm now referring to as Ouija Simon. Um, and I can't even remember what happened there because my notes say utter shite, Lord. Just fucking dreadful, Duncan. <laughs> so bad. Baz v. Halloween, Year 3.
welcome back. So, first up, you just heard the trailer, it's The Devil's Backbone from 2001. Or as it is in its original title, Espanzo del Diablo. I think I nailed that. No, it's El Espanzo Diablo. No, I can't speak. This is pish. Yeah, let's just leave this alone. Konnichiwa. Natasha wa Duncan Dezu Dozuriushku. Wax on, wax off. That is the wrong thing to say. <laughs> right, this one was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. What a guy, what a guy. Um, this movie, interestingly enough, in the del Toro back catalogue, this is the one that really kind of puts him on the map before we, we yeah. kind of get into the, the, the big talking things. In terms of directing credits, he'd done, like... He did a couple of things that were quite interesting. Uh, most notably, Kronos, which was like his first proper full feature, um, which is a great kind of vampire story. Tell me, tell me, it's the biopic of the Venom frontman. <laughs> it's, it's not. Fucking no. It's not. It's a it's a Spanish horror film about uh, a vampiric parasite brooch. <laughs> that that you, sounds a bit like the fucking strain. Well, funnily enough, Guillermo del Toro is the man that wrote the stream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's kind of off that kind of ilk. So he did um, he did Cronus. It ended his first kind of English language big bu- uh, big budget Hollywood kind of horror esque thing, uh, Mimic, which is all right. It's not amazing. It's not terrible. And then he came back into the the Devil's Backbone, and this is where people kind of actually stood up and realised that this guy has a particular way of telling stories, a kind of childlike fashion of telling stories that is a bit creepy. Yeah. Um, and then after this, he made two movies for The Hollywood Machine again and Blade 2 and Hellboy before really kind of, in my opinion, making his masterpiece Pan's Labyrinth. So um, we've talked about this movie on and off now since I think it was The Orphanage. I think so we're going back, what, two years now? Yeah, that was Baz v Halloween first year. Yeah, like, and we were talking about Guillermo del Toro and the stuff that he did and how I at the time was saying you need to check at Pan's Labyrinth and you need to check at The Devil's Backbone. And we have finally arrived and I am very excited about this one because on paper, this is a lot of things that I think tick Baz's boxes when it comes to just good movies and good storytelling. But it'll be interesting to see if I am way off the mark. So, um, as is customary, I'm supposed to do like a whole lot of reading out of cast. Um, they are all Spanish, so I'm not doing that. Uh, I'll, jump sh- <laughs> I'll jump straight to... Just going to make up British names for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Starring Stevie Davis. <laughs> Bob Jones. <laughs> oh, Bob Jones is brilliant in this movie. Uh, right, the synopsis for this one is... After Carlos, a 12-year-old whose father has died in the Spanish Civil War, arrives at an ominous boys' orphanage, he discovers the school is haunted and has many dark secrets that he must uncover. Right, Baz, the floor is yours, sir. Please tell me and the listeners what you made of The Devil's Backbone. I certainly shall, amigo. Oh, I like what you did there. 
First off, I'm just going to top up my... I'm on, I'm on Lavan Rouge the night, big man. Oh, very nice. And uh, in homage to the drunken, alky Spanish bastards in this film <laughs> who, appear to, who appear to drink red wine with their breakfast. Anyway, I'm, I'm drinking a four, four pound bottle of Merlot at a little. It's not the best. <laughs> well, you, will, you might want to stress that the, the cost of it was four pounds. Yeah, and it's yeah. not four pound in weight. No, no, unfortunately, no, no. It cost me the grand sum of four pounds sterling, uh, and it tastes like it costs three pounds sterling. Uh, but the, the second glass tastes a lot better than the first one I've just finished. So we're on a roll. Yeah. So the devil's backbone. Um, I think before we get further, I was hu- hugely looking forward to this film. Um, while I, I I didn't really know that Del Toro had done Hellboy, I saw Hellboy years ago just for the you know the comic fan in me. Comic alert! <laughs> um, you know I, I was familiar with the Hellboy comics, and I watched that. I quite liked the Hellboy film. Um, not my favourite comic, so I wasn't expecting too much. But I thought the film was good and big. Ron, whatever his face is, was really good in it. Yeah, Ron Perlman's a regular yeah. as well in, yeah. in terms yeah. of Del Toro movies. He was in Kronos. He was in Pacific Rim. He obviously yeah. Hellboy, so yeah. they're pally. So, um, yeah, so we watched The Orphanage a couple of years ago. I just I loved that film, man. It, it was it's fucking awesome. so creepy and atmospheric and really lovely. And I just remember my biting thing because I was scared shitless and felt really sad and happy at the end, all in the same fucking thing. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen a film like that before that really kind of affected me in so many different ways, all in the one film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I let my kid watch it. We watched it together, and she thought it was great as well. Uh, and I was just a fan ever since then, kind of thing. You bought me Pan's Labyrinth, actually. I only watched that a, about six months ago or something there. You had bought me the Blu-ray of that, and that was just another fucking brilliant, beautifully shot, just wonderful, fantastical kind of film. Um, now, obviously, I think it's set... If I remember rightly, it is set at the start of World War One and uh, World War Two and the immediate aftermath of the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, I think so. The the sort of communist forces have fallen to Franco's fascists, That's but right. they are still so there are small groups of them still operating as guerrilla fighters, if you like, kind of thing. So when I, when I got the devil's backbone through straight away, I saw in the the, the case, you know, that's set in the Spanish Civil War. Fucking great! It's a period of time. That fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a precursor to the Second World War, and so many people didn't see this, you know. But like most of uh, Hitler's crack Luftwaffe pilots all trained fighting for Franco in the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, and um, that was where they learned all their blitzkrieg tactics, how to use dive bombers. They basically practiced on Spanish fucking civilians for about three years before the Second World War started, you know. And Scotland has a big tie to the the Spanish Civil War. There was a lot of Scotsmen went to fight. Um, Scotland's traditionally a kind of socialist country, if you like. Mm-hmm. And back in the kind of late 30s and that, there was strong communist movements. You had the Red Clyde side movement in the shipyards and stuff like that. And there's still, to this day, there's a, a very nice statue on the banks of the Clyde. Um, Google it. It's a lovely inscription. It's a name in Spanish, all of which is escaping me right now. But it's to the main of Glasgow that went to fight for the International Brigades uh, against the fascists. Um, and and there was so little regard given to these men, 
you know, but they saw what was coming. They saw the rise of fascism and they tried to stop it right there. And then it just, the whole thing fascinates me. I visited a couple of places when I was on honeymoon in Spain. There was a kind of civil war fort near where we were staying and I had a look around there. It's just a great thing. And so underused in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this been set in that, I thought, great. That's got me hooked right for the start kind of thing. And because I like the guy so much, I actually forked out, don't tell the wife, bought the Blu-ray. It was twice the price of the DVD, but I don't give a fuck. So I wanted the Blu-ray. <laughs> and it's not very often I do that, don't you know? I do not give a shit about high definition. Yeah, you, like, I, my copy of The Devil's Backbone is an imported Criterion Collection version, <laughs> which cost me, like, 30 quid. Made of platinum. Yeah, pr- pretty much. <laughs> and when I put it in my, my Blu-ray player, I was, like, kind of stroking my Blu-ray player, just saying, don't make a mark on the disc. Don't make a, <laughs> Let me see it in pristine condition, but don't mark the disc. Um... <laughs> Yeah, for you to go to for you to fork out a wee bit extra. No, that we're saying you're tight. It's just that's what we're I, saying. I, I, yeah, <laughs> that's what I don't normally. You know, when it comes to this time of year, I normally have to buy quite a a glut of DVDs because I do like to have as many of the films as possible yeah. that we cover. Um, so yeah, I normally err on the side of I'll just get the DVD because it's three quid. Yeah, to ask <laughs> anyone to go out, yeah, for, to, to, for me to give you a list of ten movies and then say, oh, by the way, you need them for next month. Um, yeah, I could I could <laughs> I see don't. why you would be like that. All right, this one's five pound cheaper. I'm just getting that. Yeah, yeah. The the wife's still reeling from the whole last year when I bought about twelve films for Baz V Halloween oh, plus God. all the all the Halloween films as well. That's right. It was, and there was that monstrous fucking box arrived. <laughs> I think she thought I'd bought shoes or something like that. Oh, that's just full of films. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, keeping it on the QT, I treated myself to the Blu-ray of this one. So yes, I stuck it on last night, and it was quite late when I stuck this on. I had a very full day, including recording an entire episode of you in the (laughs) afternoon. Um, But I settled down to watch it last night. Giddy as a schoolboy I was. Um, The film opens just in great fashion. It basically opens, you're looking through the bomb doors of a bomber. Uh, belong to the, the, the Franco's nationalist fascist forces and they are dropping bombs and you, and you see the bombs falling out the, the bomb bay doors plummeting down towards the thing it's, it's a great fucking image it then cuts to a little boy who appears to have been killed and you assume he was killed in the bombing he's bleeding from his head, he's lying there and there's another friend kneeling over him kind of crying and he then appears to drop the body in a, a kind of well and you assume that he's been killed in this bombing raid kind of thing more on that later on that then goes into the opening titles um, after that we see another a different little boy and he's, he's driven up to this kind of building like in the middle oh cock I've pushed the home button now <laughs> oh now I've pushed detail no I don't what I don't care if my software update oh it's all gone wrong don't because I've got the fucking thing plugged in, so it's upside down. <laughs> right, it's back, it's back. I'm we can s- edit that out. That's been, I'll be fine. I'm gonna keep that in because I'm fairly sure you said that. I'm fairly sure you said the little boy drives up to the cock. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Baz has developed Tourette's. You never fucking edit anything out when I make a fool of myself. Anyway, no, I don't even know why I ask anymore. Yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. Pointless. Continue, Baz. Continue. Entertain me. You just timestamp those bits. Baz makes an arse. Episode one, right here. Right. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, so the boy, he's, he's driven up to this building, kind of out in the Spanish countryside, if you like. It's this fairly desert-like, uh, but two guys. One of whom is kind of wounded, and the other's carrying a kind of shotgun-type thing. So it all seems a bit odd. Um, they take him into this place, which we discover fairly quickly is an orphanage. Um and straight away and I love this but this is pure Del Toro in the middle of the playground there's a fucking massive unexploded bomb <laughs> yeah just stuck right into the ground with about 12 feet of it still pointing up and it's just a jarring odd image but you're like that that could totally have happened mm-hmm. you know you would never imagine something like that of happening but it must have happened all the time yeah you know bombs I... did feel to explode do you know what I mean um, and what I love is that this image of the bomb right in the middle of the orphanage, everything... The bomb doesn't play a huge part in it. It does come back into it later on, but it's like everything revolves around it. It's like the centrepiece to the stage, if you like, and everything just takes place around the unexploded bomb. I'm sure smarter people than me can see a wonderful metaphor in there. <laughs> I just go immediately like a red cock. But um, I don't think that's what it's meant to be. Anyway... Um, they come in and the two guys appear to know people are talking to this kind of matron looking woman who tells them it's okay it's been diffused but it's basically too heavy for anybody to move at the moment so obviously they are in the middle of a war so it's not like there's plenty of people to deal with this but it's been diffused um the 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 orphanage appears to be run by a kind of older man who for want of a better term we're going to call christopher lee <laughs> or possibly Count Dooku <laughs> as the show goes on um, and a woman a woman a relatively elder woman who was clearly a looker in her day Is mm-hmm. uh, she's a very elegant looking woman the ravages of time have overtaken her somewhat but she's still a very attractive woman for her age apart from possibly the wooden leg that not a turn on for the bars the bars not like wooden legs uh, no at the end of it, there's a big kind of silver foot-looking thing. If it possibly had a sex aid at the end of it, so it was a wooden leg slash, like, anal probe. <laughs> I can go on board with that, but it, it's fairly functional, it's got to be said. Um, yeah, so so we're going to call her Peg Leg. Oh, right. Um, so we've got Christopher Lee slash Count Dooku, and we've got Peg Leg. Um... And as, as they're kind of walking through the main courtyard with the bomb, as the boy sees this little ghostly figure in the doorway, so straight off we kind of see where it's going. The boy's name is Carlos. Um, he fairly quickly makes a couple of wee friends. Um, then, then Pegleg Woman and Christopher Lee are talking to these two characters uh, in a room away from the kids, basically. And it, it, it becomes apparent that both kind of her and Christopher Lee are communist sympathisers and that most of the children um, in the place are like the children of communist fighters kind of thing, you know. And they're basically... They, I think by this point that the nationalist forces are kind of on the advance, if you like. They appear to be winning the war and they're pretty much expecting them to turn up anytime soon and just try to show they're all fucked when they get there because they're basically all call me the sympathizers type thing um one of the the guys that's wounded uh i think his name is it escapes me now i do have it written down somewhere we'll come across it ayala or ayala or something like that uh-huh. um 
he says that basically the boy Carlos is the son of one of his fighter comrades who's died, but the boy doesn't actually know his dad's dead. Um, but they've basically brought him there to kind of put him somewhere because his dad's dead now. Um, we find out Pegleg's husband's dead. Two guys leave to go back to the fight, and the wee guy's not very impressed. He thinks he's just there for a brief visit with them, and he kind of tries to run after them and all that. Um, this is just after he's had a pretty horrible encounter with some of the kids that actually. Yeah, yeah, that, that was he gets in a fight where there's a, a kind of the bully, you know, the archetypal bully there. He gets in a fight, but in fairness to the boy, he doesn't seem to be. He kind of stands up to the bully. He maybe comes off second best, but he's not one of these wee kids that cowers away for the bullies. Happy to have a bit of a go. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets assigned a bed in the dorm, which is number 12, which at this point we find out it's kind of significant. Um, and it, somebody says it's Santi's bed, and we'll find out a bit more about that as we go on. There's also a young couple that work there um, who basically I had to refer to as young, youngish guy and youngish girl all the way through it. <laughs> Towards the end, I find out the guy is called Jacinta. Mm-hmm. Girl's name still escapes me, so we're just... She's fond of a ride. So <laughs> probably come up with something inappropriate and offensive for her. Um, <laughs> as the Van Rouge goes down. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, so there's this kind of younger couple that work there. We find out the guy Jacinta, he grew up in the orphanage, he hates the place. Um, there's gold there. For some reason, they seem to have all this fucking gold. But the the woman gives some of it to these two fighters that come along with Carlos. Yeah. To like go and buy guns or something. Or, I don't know, have a drink. Um, yeah, and, and this Jacinta guy, he seems to have ideas about possibly stealing this gold. Uh, the, the young couple actually don't seem to be very important at this point, but they become kind of pivotal in the whole thing, or certainly the guy does. Um first night there so Carlos he gets woken up there's a kind of curtain drawn along the side of his bed we see this shadowy figure on the other side but when he opens it there's nothing there something then starts spilling all the water jugs and he sees some footprints in the water the bully and the other kids all wake up telling him he needs to go and fetch more but Carlos kind of turns the table and the bully be going yeah I'll go and get it you need to come with me though mm-hmm. you know and then it's this kind of well, if I'm going to do it you're going to do it kind of thing and they set off for the kitchens. Um, one of the other boys mentions something called the one who sighs, which is a reference to this. There is obviously there's this ghost, this little boy that we've kind of had hints at uh, already, kind of thing. Um, they go to the, the kitchen. The bully kind of fucks off and leaves Carlos in there. Jacinta and his his missus turn up, doing uh, about fingering in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> Ah, fair play to the boy, you know what I mean? Everybody's half bombed on red wine. <laughs> a bit like me. My wife's doing stairs, she's, she's avoiding getting fingered. She's hiding down the stairs. She knows what I'm like, Honestly, probably locked this door for the outside, actually. I'm probably sleeping in here tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the Jacinta kind of nearly catches Carlos, but it doesn't. And he then, ah, fuck, I've spilled my way. There we go. Um, <laughs> if we hear slurping noises in a second, just pour yourself another glass. Actually, fuck that, I'll just suck it up, hold on. <laughs> oh, <God>. ah! 
We snot want not. That's my Scottish Presbyterian upbringing there, Dung. We're thrifty as Scots Presbyterians. Or possibly more my Jake bag upbringing that I will literally drink wine off the table. Um, where are we? Yeah, so the Jacint is in the place. Uh, he's fucking about with a safe where he believes this gold is. There's this kind of hidden safe. He appears to be basically kind of nicking all the different keys he can find. Um and kind of going through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, he's trying a bit of that. Uh, he doesn't manage to do it. Carlos then gets locked inside the kitchen, basically, and then we hear a voice kind of whispering his name. So he goes down to the cellar, and there we find the well that we saw at the start. Mm-hmm. I'm saying well, it's almost like a little kind of small swimming pool type thing, but I'm assuming it's a well. It's just not that kind of traditional round well that you would see. Yeah. Um, and we dead boys ghosts doing in the water um, we actually see the ghost I think at this point for the first time uh, what, did, like, what did you think? Sandy he is he's quite creepy the way it's done for anybody that hasn't seen it and, and wants it spoiled um, he appears like he's underwater like his hair floats all the time because obviously his body is down there and there's blood coming from a wound in his head but the blood kind of floats into the air as if it's floating off into water kind of thing um, I've got to say you know, it's quite well done but compared to things like um, you know the the hooded boy in the orphanage the boy with the sack mask on yeah, yeah. things like the fawn and that fucking eyeless thing um, you know, from Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. This this image, which is the key kind of horror image in this film, is fairly tame compared to some of them. I mean, the, the first time I saw that wee boy with the painted sack thing on his head in the orphanage, I shat myself. <laughs> I mean, because it's so creepy looking. Yeah. You know, Eldora's stuff is not particularly frightening necessarily, but he takes creepy to fucking levels that I didn't think was possible. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I've, I've, I've the point of point of fact, Baz. This is my favourite um, interpretation of a ghost in cinema. I love huh? it. There's yeah, there's something really weird about it. I I've always kind of had this thing about um, the understanding of a ghost kind of being like trapped, like you know, some. Uh, however, the ghost dies is kind of how it manifests, and this idea of you know, kind of the, the kind of floatiness of it, the the blood coming out his head and going upwards. I think is just an iconic image. It's something I've never seen before. Yeah, it's, it's certainly. While I maybe wasn't as affected by the image as I was some of the other images I've seen in Toltoro's films, it's very original. Yeah, it's a very original take on it. I've got to say, so hats off to him for that. Yeah, there's there's a scene later on where he's walking. He you can actually see his skeletal structure through him. Uh-huh. Um, which legs I, and stuff like that yeah I was looking at it going this is you know once again and I actually think those special effects hold up considering this movie's what 15 years old <clears throat> the, the, the kind of CGI special effects actually still look pretty good which is once again you know a credit to how they did it in terms of the combination of practical effects and special effects so yeah, yeah. but yeah you're right this is where he appears for the first time we get to see him yeah yeah so as I say I think my overall reaction you know uh, 
it was well done. It, it maybe just wasn't quite as toe curlingly creepy as some of the other images that I've seen in Del Toro films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will leave it at that. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, yeah, Carlos comes face to face with him and, and kind of runs off. He manages to escape, but then the Jacinta's outside and he catches him kind of thing. So the next morning, he's kind of been interrogated by the teachers about what he was up to, because obviously he should have been in his bed. And he won't he won't kind of tell on them. But uh, old Christopher Lee's smart, uses his Jedi mind powers. <laughs> and uh, he kind of figures out what's going on. Um, Carlos goes back down to the well to talk to the ghost. And the bullies then kind of attack him. But what I like about the character Carlos is he is, he is the kind of, you know, he, he's he's a quiet boy. Um, he's not the biggest guy there either, King, you know, but he won't take shit. He will stand up for himself. I like that. And basically they come at him. They kind of knocked him down. They're kicking him about a bit. And the, the bully pulls a pen knife out. Um, so the wee guy just grabs this kind of metal cog thing that's lying about and fucks it right off his head which causes him to fall into the well, and then the others all panic, going, oh, God, he can't swim. <laughs> so Carlos then jumps in and saves him, basically, um, which kind of bridges this gap between him and, I think, is it like Jaime or something like that? Jaime, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the bully. Um, yeah, so, so he saves him, and we see the wee ghost boy in the water, like his body, if you like, but I think his eyes are open, that he's kind of moving about. Um... Jacinta then turns up, takes the knife, and he cuts Carlos in the cheek. Christopher Lee's cleaning him up a wee bit and starts to, sh- to show him his rather creepy collection of preserved babies. Yeah, this is a bit weird. Yeah, this is. This was the, that was that little bit of surrealism that you get in Del Toro's films, and I think that that is a bit lacking in this film. Uh-huh. That this film is far more kind of grounded in reality than possibly some of the other ones. Um. And this bit is the kind of what the fuck moment in this film, I suppose. <laughs> basically, there's these various fetuses and jars and stuff like that, and it shows this one that has basically the spine is visible through a kind of birth abnormality, and he talks then about the devil's backbone kind of thing. But he then, rather unsavorly, starts to talk about the, the, the solution that they used to preserve these types of things, and he says, you know, in times gone by, they used cloves and you know different natural things and that and rum and he says and then you know i sell this rum in the town and men buy it to aid fucking impotence and all this kind of stuff and we we guys fairly fucking creeped out to this (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as you would be tries to get the boy to drink it i thought oh it's going to get a bit noncy here do you know what i mean he's going to get the boy drunk on baby juice and then fucking nonce him up thankfully none of that happens the boy leaves and then the bold Christopher Lee just knocks back a wee shot just for shits and giggles. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a bit fucking weird. Um, and then it gets weirder, because that night, we Jacinta, the kind of strapping young teenage stud, is fucking giving Peg Leg the D in no good measure. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Pounding. Uh, he is pounding into her one-legged body. <laughs> Um, but he uses this as an excuse. Uses this as an excuse. It's a classic honey trap. Um, he uses this as an excuse to steal more keys for the safe, so he can try that. And poor old Christopher Lee, who fancies her, has to listen to them riding through the wall. Yeah, he probably okay. drank some more of his baby rum. <laughs> um, 
the boys then tell Carlos about Santi, who is the ghost, and how he disappeared the night that the bomb fell. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of hinted that possibly that the bully Jaime is the the one that you saw throwing the body into the well. Can't remember exactly how, but it's kind of hinted at. Well, um, to be honest, we actually see him at the start throwing the body into the well. We see him at the start being over the body. He's the one that discovers the yeah. body, and he's all covered in yeah, yeah. you know covered yeah. in blood. He touches him. So uh, yes, from what on a first seen, watching though, you might not remember that that's the same person. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, Jaime fancies Jacinta's bird. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really mean a lot. It does come in. There's a little bit about a cigar ring thing later on. I can't be fucked talking about. Um, uh, here's a sketchbook. There's a drawing in there of Santi's death. Um, Christopher Lee is off selling his baby rum. And we see uh, a group of nationalist soldiers executing members of the International Brigade, which I mentioned earlier on. Um, there was a lot of Scots fought in the International Brigades. They, they were battalions that were made up by foreign fighters who volunteered to travel to Spain to fight the fascists kind of thing. And we see a number of them getting executed, including Ayala, or whatever his name was, which is the guy that brought um, Carlos to the orphanage at the start. Uh, Carlos finds Santi's ghost, says something about many of them will die, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a lot of jump scare at this point. He hides in a cupboard and and Santi's ghost's eye appears at the thing. It's fairly telegraphed, the jump scare, I've got to say, but this is not a film that features many, but that was the one bit I did get a bit, a kind of, oh, you know, as, as the, the eye appeared at the thing. Um... Basically, the next day, when Christopher Lee, because he's seen them executing folk, he tells Peg like they only get the fuck out of the place. Um, she says they can't use the gold because it's for the cause, you know, the the, the socialist cause or whatever. Uh, he's like, fuck the cause, let's get the fuck out of here kind of thing. <laughs> so she's like that, aye, all right, and goes to get the gold. Uh, <laughs> didn't take much convincing. Uh uh, Jacinta kind of squares up to her about it um, and she refuses there's a standoff with Christopher Lee and Jacinta gets banished kids are getting ready to evacuate um, Carlos says that he knows Santi's dead Jacinta's now got back into the or- orphanage he's wrecked the car so they can't leave and he's kind of getting ready to burn the place down as Bird catches him she's a good cunt now so she tries to stop him <laughs> They argue, the gun goes off, he starts to fire, there's an explosion. Yeah, he sets, up, to... he sets up, I was going to say, he sets up all the ammunition in, yeah. front, of the, in front of the safe, because he's just going to blow the safe. Try and blast it, yeah. 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 Um, and the explosion appears to kill Peg Leg. Uh, it, it does kill the kind of matron woman that's there and some of the kids as well outside the car explodes killing more so there's a lot of carnage at this point a lot of the kids have died it's a fucking great scene as well I mean yeah it it's very looks, chaotic it, but it looks really realistic if you yeah. know what I mean the, yeah. like once again for a movie circa 2001 which didn't have a big budget the fact that they managed to pull off all these things without a huge special effects budget and it is, it is quite jarring. There is that kind of you get the sense that you are at ground level after the after the fact, um, which I think just works. It's just an incredibly short action sequence. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. It's very good. 
Um, Christopher Lee finds Peg like she's not quite dead, but she does die in his arms. Jacinta's bird, she's going to walk into town for help, but it'll take like a day. Um, I'm trying to rattling through here. Um, don't want to give you a blob of blow account ever in the fucking atoms, but um, yeah, Jaime tells Carlos exactly what happened um, with Santi. Um, the they see Jacinto at the safe. Oh, sorry, Santi seen Jacinto at the safe, and they bought. And Jacinto bangs his head off a wall, killing him. He panics and ties up the body and drops it in the well. Jaime saw it all. Um, and as he leaves, we see the bomb landing in front of him. So basically the bomb, you know, he's seen his friend die and get slung in the well kind of thing. He's panicked. He runs out into the courtyard and just he looks up and you see the bombers going overhead. And then he, out the rain, you see this bomb start to form and it just plummets down and ploughs into the ground in front of him, throwing him away, obviously, but not exploding. I thought that was really cool. I loved that. Really liked that. I really loved the image of the bomb in this film. I thought it was great. Um, and, and that's so that's how Santi died, kind of thing. Um, out on the road, Jacinto and his pals turn up, find his bird, and then he stabs her because he's an arse. You know what I mean? This <laughs> um, is a horrible cunt now. I'm going to hope he dies. <laughs> they turn up at the orphanage. They leave. And Christopher Lee's just sitting in his chair like a motherfucking gunslinger with his shotgun and his records going, just waiting for the guy. But he dies in the chair. Um, and Santi tells Carlos to bring him Jacinto, uh, who's now holding Jaime Cole hostage. Uh, they make the kids excavate the safe out the rubble kind of thing and they lock them all in a room where they try and crack the safe kind of thing um, the boys kind of come up with a plot to fight back at Jacinto who gets into the safe but there's no valuables there in this fucking region there's a weird bit where Christopher Lee appears to turn up alive uh-huh. but I don't think he is I think he's his ghost and he, he kind of unlocks the boys you don't actually ever see his face though Um <laughs> Jacinto finds the gold in, in old peg legs fake leg which is weird um, but his pals bail on him before he's got a chance to tell them about this kids lure him into the basement and they fuck him up they go all lord of the flies on his ass with spears and all that and he ends up in the well and we Santi grabs him doing in the well um, the kids are then getting ready to leave and old Christopher Lee's watching them and he admits that basically I am a ghost sorry I'm sorry I'm a ghost <laughs> and, uh, and that's the end of it uh-huh. and that is the devil's backbone um, it is a good film oh. I would have to say it, it it's far less creepy than the other Del Toro ones that I've seen right you know, excluding the likes of Hellboy and that. Um, it is a, again, it's beautifully shot. It's a wonderful setting. The concept of using the Spanish Civil War, beautiful scenery and that that it's shot in. It looks exquisite, like all of the stuff that I've seen of his does. So take nothing away from him there. And as a film, uh, the story's great. I, ju- I think my chief problem is there's... For what is essentially a ghost story, there's actually not that much about a ghost in it. 
Yeah, right. I just feel that Santi's kind of underused. I mean, there are huge tracks of the film where he's not in it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't find the image of him as creepy and unsettling as, for instance, the one in the orphanage. Um, I did enjoy the film. It is a, definitely a good film, and it's a film that I will go back to and watch again. I have absolutely no doubt of that. I will sit and watch this film again at some point. Um, but I, I would say, out, out what I would class as the three that I've seen, The Orphanage, Pan's Labyrinth, and The Devil's Backbone, I think it's probably my least favourite of the three. Uh-huh. I've got to say, it just... It had a lot of elements that I really thought were going to hook me. And just the overall end product... I thought just felt a little bit short and I put it down. I, I wish there had been more of a focus on Santi and, and his ghostly exploits, as it were. All right. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, I love it. I, I think it's a phenomenal movie. Um, I don't look at it as... I'm not a, for one minute saying it's a bad film. I, no, I would no, stress no. that. You know, I'm not, it is a great film, beautifully made. Yeah, um, but just in terms of kind of horror and that, if you like, yeah, it gets it gets lumped into the horror category because there's a ghost in it. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I I know what you're saying. The ghost isn't really used a lot in the movie, but I think that's what kind of makes the movie better. Um, I actually think that we the fact that we only get to see the ghost a few times really really does have an impact when you see the ghost. I think if we saw the ghost more and more, I think that might be less of an impact. Plus, like the ghost is almost in this story a sympathetic character. Um, we're not using that ghost to scare. Um, we are the first time we see the ghost, but the more we find out about the backstory of how Santa ends up in that well, um, that's when things start, from my point of view, that ghost is no longer scary at that point. Um, I think principally what the movie is trying to do um, in a way which Pan's Labyrinth plays with far more but once again Pan's Labyrinth had a much bigger budget um, is this idea of this this uh, of like a not quite a fairy tale but this, this kind of snapshot of childhood and imagination and fear and darkness and our understanding of of imagination and where that goes and you know how that how people can be completely different um as kids and how you can reject something at one point but then grow to respect like the the group the group of kids that he originally is with bully them senselessly until they realize that this kid isn't really going to you know, give them away or, or turn them in or anything like that. You know, he's, he just wants to kind of just be left alone. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, the kids accept him and then, you know, that, that dynamic of them all becoming friends and reading comics together and then this kind of the story of the mythology of this kind of the, the, the sighing noise that happens and stuff. Um, I, I find that infinitely fascinating. I don't for one second think this movie is a scary movie. Um, no, like I say, it, it, it's definitely... It, it, like you, you touch on this kind of fairy tale, kind of what I call this fantastical element that he has in this films. I think that that's downplayed more in this film than it is in the other ones. Um, yeah. 
and there's all there's almost a kind of adventure story feel about it. Yes, you know, like a kids' adventure type thing. There's definitely a a big element of that in there as well. Yeah, you know? and I mean that's that's like I say that's one of the things that kind of Del Toro is is known for, and and his movies. Even when you watch Cronus, Cronus approaches it from a very kind of fairy tale esque point of view, and that's just the way he grew up. He grew up in Mexico, and in Mexico they have a lot of these stories, a lot of these kind of folklore stories that are passed down. Um, like the scary stories you would be told off your grandparents when you were a kid, if you were me. Um, the <laughs> scary stories I got told. Um, it's, that, it's that kind of thing, and that's what I think he does probably better than any director, is he can adapt that and put it on the screen. And yes, it, isn't, it doesn't reach the fantastical levels of a Pan's Labyrinth, but there is a very childlike innocence about this movie, which he plays with, um, and you know the the reveal ultimately that Jacinto is, you know, it's just that not only is he a horrible person, but he's a child killer, um, and you know it it shows a lot when he catches Carlos back in there and his like reaction to cut him and threatened to kill him at that point is, you know, it's a, a big man saying big words until you realise that he has actually killed a kid before. Yeah. So when he's saying that, he 100% genuinely means he will kill him if, you mm. know, if he says anything. And, I, you know, I love those ideas about the story and the characters. I didn't expect this movie, and I'm going to ask you your question shortly, but I did not expect this movie to conquer you, but I kind of felt like you needed to see this movie. You needed to see... The Devil's Backbone because it charts the director that you come to know Guillermo del Toro to be. Like this yeah. is this is this is the first one where yet yeah, he goes on and works, kind of helping creatively from a sideline point of view. The director who ultimately goes on and does orphanage, but the orphanage shares a lot in common with the Devil's Backbone, which is I think in some respects why he helped that guy get that movie made. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is just a kind of continuation of this story but dealing with a lot more fantastical and fantasy elements and when you look at you know, his involvement with uh, Mama he helped get Mama off the ground and Mama's the same sort of idea of it's innocence, it's children it's, this, it's the fantastical, it's the weird and that's Del Toro's theme and he, he does it better than, like I say, any director out there. But this is kind of the the beginning of... This movie got huge critical acclaim at the time when it came out just because people weren't making movies like this at all. And mm. he, he's went off and cultivated a whole new talent of Spanish-speaking uh, directors who have went off and done various bits of bobs still within that wheelhouse. And uh, I think Del Toro is a man that makes that possible. I think he's an infinitely fascinating director. Um, and you know I love Crimson Peak I know Crimson Peak took a fucking a pimden when people didn't go and see it you know at the cinema but to me that movie was just even on a grander scale this idea of you know gothic hammer horror cinema which is the cinema you grew up watching so uh, you've never seen Crimson Peak yet have you? No no, I, no. I, I would recommend that. I think you, Tess can definitely watch that one with you. Um, but I, I, I certainly recommend that one. Not a scary movie. It's more in keeping with uh, the, the devil's backbone in terms of scariness, quote unquote. Um, but the story's really good, and Tom Hiddleston's phenomenal in it. Um, 
so I'd highly recommend that as well. So Baz, anything else you want to Duncan. see? Or um, no, I don't think so. I, like I say, I don't, I don't want people thinking I didn't like this film at all. I, I just, I think I, I possibly hoped to bear in mind as Baz v Halloween, which is traditionally the, the, the month of the year that you boot me in the boys for five weeks. Um, I, I was kind of maybe hoping to be creeped out a little bit more, and I maybe felt a little disappointed that I wasn't more creeped out. But to approach this just as a film to be enjoyed, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's great. Excellent, excellent. Right, Baz. Duncan. And the Immortal Pantheon, the stage of battle. This is academic now. Everyone knows it. I know it. I need to ask the question, though. And the, str- me. the, the struggle for supremacy that is Baz v. Halloween. On this, the third movie that we've covered in year three. Who won? Was it Baz or Halloween? Motherfucking Baz won. The Baz takes. The a Baz won. 2 1 lead. As Booyah! We, as we move in to our next. Yeah, booyah! <laughs> That's right, be cocky, Baz. Oh, aye, that's uh, that's. Pride comes before the fall. So I'm going to start singing and dancing. I'll be crying and shitting myself in about fifteen minutes. Hopefully, hopefully, you never know. You never know. Right. Um. So we have another movie to discuss. This is the found uh, found footage feature. I was going to say found feature footage. That's wrong. (laughs) That's not right. That's not right. That out your prick, don't you? (laughs) Aye. (laughs) Never. <laughs> right of this episode, we are going to take a look at Norai or Nuri, um, the curse from two thousand and five. But first, you're going to hear promos for shows that we love. You're going to hear the trailer for the movie. Myself and Baz are going to be right back right after this. You're listening to. The podcast under the stairs. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be a did you watch one. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. The いや、ちょっと<笑> 
いや見えるわけじゃなくて呪いさっきなんか映像がおかしくなったんですけど。The Curse from 2005. This one,、um, you've just heard the trailer for it. There's a lot of Japanese people speaking because it's a Japanese movie.、Um, it was direct- sometimes the trailers really don't work on this podcast. Sometimes they don't.、Uh, you will have heard two that don't、uh, on this episode. It was directed by Koji Shiriashi,、um, and the movie stars a lot of Japanese people. And we're gonna skip there. None of whom you will know, so let's just not even bother. <laughs> Unless you're a fan of Asian cinema. There's, there's Jackie Chan is not in this film <laughs> at all. <laughs> Or indeed, we part Marita. It's not in it either. Or Mr. Sulu. <laughs> None of the above racial stereotypes. Are in this film. <laughs> yeah. Well, that trailer played Barry Mainline some crack. Oh, And, God.、Uh, I as a motherfucker now. <laughs> <laughs> The synopsis for this movie is a documentary filmmaker explores seemingly unre- unrelated paranormal incidents connected by the legend of an ancient demon called Kagutaba. Um. Which you hear a lot in this movie. They like to keep, Gagotaba! Yeah, they like to keep mentioning it. See, that was better. That was better. That's me, that's me channeling my, my inner prison camp guard there. Oh, boss. <laughs> right, let's move on. <laughs> Moving on!、Uh, right, so, like I said, this movie kind of predates the now、um, long running.、Uh, Genre of well, the rebooted genre of film footage,、uh, paranormal activity comes two years after this.、Um, I believe, yeah, I was interested to hear you talk about that earlier on, actually. Yeah,、um, because a lot of the films you mentioned earlier on, yeah, this film reeks of them. Yeah, yeah, but I'm surprised to hear it was actually a couple of years before them. Yes, um, so if, if you remember, if our listeners remember out there our conversations on film footage, you'll know roughly the chronology starts about 1980 with Cannibal Holocaust. There are a few in between movies which kind of use it, but they don't really use it、um, until the last broadcast kicks up in 1998, and then the Blair Witch Project comes some six months after 1999,、um, and then we have a bit of a cooling off period again. And then 2005 swings around,、uh, the curse comes out, and no one goes to see it out with Japan. And then Paranormal Activity 
kind of kicks into gear and then from that point found footage is big 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 business so much so that we get several of them every year um, some of them are really interesting takes on the genre others are just regurgitated versions of paranormal activity of which there is a lot um, but this one is very it's a very interesting movie in terms of the, the techniques it uses um, and even by Asian cinema standards and we'll get into this towards the end um, when I come back to, to talk about some of the things that you've said about the movie as Japanese horror movies go, this one is quite unusual. And it's not just because it's found footage, but it, it does things which a lot of movies in Asian horror cinema don't do. Um, so we will, like I say, come to it later on. Baz, this um, this is a movie I saw a long time ago. And like I say, I, I watched it for the second time ever on the... Uh, the, the the night before we recorded last night I sat down in a nice darkened room and shoved this one on because I wanted to capture that vibe of the first time I saw it in the dark um, but you watched this one in the morning yeah I did so I don't know if that will have any impact at all um, and I need to ask you Baz please tell us how you got on with Nuri the curse yep uh, I certainly shall don't, uh, interesting that you mentioned that when we watched it this morning I did watch it this morning um, I kind of came up the stairs into the little spare room that we have. Um, I did shut the curtains. We have kind of blackout curtains, but they're fairly short, so a bit of light seats. So I wasn't in total darkness like I was last night, for instance, when I watched The Devil's Backbone. Um, bear that in mind. All right. Okay. And I will, I will circle back if I forget to circle back to that due to the fact I'm half canned. <laughs> Remind me about it later on because I do wish to address that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So now. The, the, I, I had found out a little bit about the film prior to watching it because I had never heard of this when, when you gave it to me right now I can't remember I have seen The Ring right but I can't remember if I've seen the Japanese one or if I've only seen the kind of remake one because it, it was round about the time I think when those Japanese ones became quite popular yep. in the old video shop world of the kind of 90s Um the only one, as you mentioned, that we've done since was due on yeah. um, The Grudge, which I didn't particularly enjoy. And when I was looking to pick up the DVDs for this year's Baz V Halloween, and I tried to track this down, it's it's not impossible to get in this country, but it's, it's quite hard to get. It's impossible to get a new copy of it. Mm-hmm. And second-hand copies are retailing around about the £18 mark. Yeah, it's out of print, now, I think. Yeah. Um, I've been bitten on the hole with this before. <laughs> I I am um, way back in the first year of Baz V Horror. I I endeavoured to buy. What every, home were you bitten on, Baz? All of them, Duncan. All of my special ones. Um, I yeah. Uh, I endeavoured to buy every film because I wanted that complete run of all my movies from the first year, and I, it was impossible because unfortunately the Poughkeepsie tapes, which we watched, I think about month three, yep. um, has never ever been released on DVD so you literally cannot own it on DVD mm-hmm. about month 7 <laughs> we, we, had o- we had opened it up to our listeners who I love and appreciate <laughs> but sometimes can be fucking idiots yeah you will love and, and appreciate but we didn't that week <laughs> yeah yeah, because uh, I can't even remember what the genre was or, I think, or the theme I want to say it was extreme cinema 
I want to right, say it was extreme yeah. cinema, or either that, or we said pick a movie. I that's I think it was just pick a movie to fuck Baz up. Yeah, I think that was the theme. And you guys, pick one that will basically make him die. Uh, yeah, you guys interpreted that as pick a movie that will make Baz die of boredom. Yeah, yeah. Because I think as a result of the great show that we'd done in Poughkeepsie and the fucking quivering mess I was left at the end of that, yep. they picked that fucking August Underground. Yeah, which is not a good movie. Yeah, which I then went and spent about £16 oh, on. that's right, so you did. Buying a second-hand copy, which I don't <laughs> I don't think even arrived in time, and I think you ended up having to like send me a digital copy of it, yeah. which I watched, and then I'm going like, that, oh my fucking God. I've spent sixteen pounds on this shit. Do you know what I mean? So, no, because, do you still have it? Yeah, yeah, I've still got it. I think it. Andy Blockley offered to buy it off me. Did he not? Yeah, I think um, Andy Blockley offered. Yeah, he offered to buy it off you, and then I think he realised. I think he did then see the movie and realised how shit it was. Yeah, yeah, and no, I, I keep on. I, I'm, I'm kind of nostalgic for those things. I don't like selling things like that on, so I have kept it. Yeah, but um, when I tried to track down this film, it, it was it was a similar situation. Oh, and nah. just the name sounds shite. Juon was shite. This will be shite. I'm not fucking buying this. No, I'm not spending that money on it because I I am in a bit of a budget at the moment. My wife is scrutinising my um. My, my kind of media spending, as it were. That's um, not necessarily a bad thing. My wife no, tries, but I do it no. in secret. Yeah, yeah, you don't care. I, val- I, I value care. my marriage more than you do. And um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's not true. Sorry, Cody, you're only kidding on him. I came, back um, quite, I came back with another two yesterday. I went in to get my hair cut yesterday and then ended up in FOP and came back in with another two. <laughs> I don't know where to put them now, but you'd be proud of me though. Um, I picked up the even though I old... think I think you, you keep them in your anal cavity like fucking Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it's just... your watch, your father's watch. Um, keep them all up your ass for years. I uh, I picked up um... just fish around when you want one. <laughs> I got a, I went in and it was two Blu-rays. It was like on the new releases, two Blu-rays for twenty five pound, and I was like, a oh, bargain. Well, it was two brand new Blu-rays for £25, so two new releases, not just two, two titles. So I picked up the uh, 11-22-63. Oh, the, the JFK series? Yeah, the Stephen King. Yeah, I watched that. Was it good? I Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I didn't. I don't think the wife watched it with me. I think I, we weren't sure how it was going to go, and she doesn't really like sci-fi and X Filesy types things. Yeah, no, I quite enjoyed it. Well, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed got, it. It's definitely worth a watch. I got that. So that was one of them, and I picked up the. Well, and the, the good thing about it is, sorry, it finishes. Yes. Well, yeah. You know I mean, I'd hope so. And you know, there's no fucking second season coming, so they actually just finish it in the way it's supposed to be finished. And I thought I, I kind of dug that because there's just so many shows. Oh fuck me, they're going to do a follow-up. Yeah, they they, they instantly I mean? go to the like Wayward Pines. I've still to see season two of that, but when season one finished, I was like, right, that's you know, you've changed the ending of the book slightly, but that's the end of this. And then they were like, yeah. that it was so successful. We're bringing you season two, and I was like, no, that's not yeah. what I said. I, I watched that man in the high castle uh-huh. uh, which I was kind of a bit disappointed with anyway kind of thing but obviously that is based on a Philip K. Dick novel so it ends where the novel ends 
it just looks like you just know it was left open-ended so that if it goes down a fucking storm they're going to make you know fuck the original story we'll just make this fantastical version for season two <laughs> fuck off anyway right so you bought you bought that what else did you buy i bought the 30th anniversary 4k blu-ray edition of highlander <laughs> just been released however i already own a blu-ray version of highlander so this is my second blu-ray version of highlander so i'm giving you my other version of highlander oh uh, kapow i love highlander man i, I know that you I love highlander. Like a DVD. this is what i would so you, you're going to upgrade to blu-ray like i say it benefits us both so i'm going to stop mocking you now right now there you go <laughs> For a, for a short while. For a short while. Right. <laughs> At the risk of bringing it back to... Yeah, the thing is, so people, this, this is like... Japanese this, film. Yeah, this What's is like the second week in October and we're talking about stuff I bought at the beginning of September. <laughs> that's, you know, that's still going to fly. Uh, right. So, yeah, you sat oh, down. down. This, this bottle's nearly finished, big man. Right, yeah. So, this morning, sat down to watch Norai. Now, interestingly, uh, the reason I knew a little bit about it was... I was trying to find out how you pronounce it. Uh-huh. Right. Because you had said, you called it Nori. Yes. And I thought, well, actually, in fairness, Duncan knows, you know, you are, you're actually relatively knowledgeable in Japanese culture that somebody you're very interested in. And, and that didn't sit with me. I was like, ah, no, there's no fucking way that's Nori, Duncan. I'm sorry, you're wrong. But they actually say it at the end of the film. Uh-huh. Because... This N-O-R-O-I is the name of the documentary that the guy makes that I'm going to go on and talk about. Yes. So we are watching a documentary about a documentary, and they mention it at the end that it is Noroi. Noroi. That's how, how they pronounce it, yes, Noroi. So I think, I think it is almost an anglicised spelling. So anyways, yes, yeah, so Noroi, the curse. Um, as I say, it's a kind of faux documentary about a journalist um, who we find it's called it's Kobayashi right now names <laughs> sometimes I rely on nicknames in films sometimes I do it for humour as was the case with Mr Christopher Lee slash Count Dooku in the last film that we just reviewed <laughs> other times it's because I'm unable to ascertain what the name of the person is cause sometimes my mind wanders when I'm watching films Um yeah, this I don't have a fucking clue. I have some names. Other ones, there's, there's somebody called Shrine Girl, right? She, and she, all the way through, she's just known as Shrine Girl. I actually found out her name towards the end, but I was not going back through my notes. The main journalist is called Kobe, something Kobayashi, his, his surname is Kobayashi. And, uh-huh. and he investigates supernatural occurrences. I think it's Masafumi. Right, well, we're just calling him Kobayashi, okay? <laughs> Baz is in the driving seat. Um, if you like, you can call him Fat Han. Because he does look like an overweight, slightly taller version of little Asian Han and two broke girls. <laughs> You've not made that connection already, McLeish. Think about it. His living image is just a big fat version of wee tiny Han. <laughs> it's Fat Han. <laughs> anyway, so that's Kobayashi, and he's a journalist who basically makes a living investigating sort of supernatural occurrences, mm-hmm. and he makes um, videos of these. And we find out that the last one he made was called uh, Noroi the Curse in about April of 2004. Yes. And we're told right at the start that after finishing it, basically his house burnt down, and his wife Keiko's body was found in the remains, but he had vanished. Mm-hmm. Um... 
so it, basically we get that little introduction to and then we essentially see the film that Kobayashi makes and then it cuts out at the end to talking about the film and we get a little bit at the end kind of thing so basically at this point it now delves into basically watching Noroi the, you know, the, the film that this guy made so, so in November 2002 he's in Tokyo he's interviewing a woman uh, who claims to be hearing strange voices and noises from a neighbour's house um, the neighbour is a, is a woman and, and this sort of six year old son and after interviewing uh, the first woman who has like a little baby he goes to see the neighbour with the son and I've, I've just written him a note she's fucking mental <laughs> um, she basically opens the door and she starts screaming about how can you talk to me like that oh the fuck I've not even said any yet and then she just keeps repeating this over she's clearly quite disturbed um, he, he gets the fuck out of Dodge it's not worth hanging about for kind of thing but after the visit he finds a strange noise in his video which he has analysed because thankfully like every good investigative journalist he knows a guy that can basically work magic with a tape recorder mm-hmm. um, and they analyse it and it basically it sounds like a lot of babies crying Um he goes back a little while later to find out that she's moved out and he finds like a, like a bill or something obviously it's written in Japanese I don't know what the fuck it was do you know what I mean um, but it has her name on it and he says her name which actually turns out to be kind of integral to the whole thing later on <laughs> it's fucking throwaway at the time there's a lot of dead birds lying about the house um, I think Pidgeon's a cunt so I didn't have a problem with that um, well, if you two, fact, if you two think pigeons are cunts, this is the movie to watch. What Bono thinks pigeons are cunts? No, I said, I, I said, if you two, all oh, right, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That's the classic, don't you've fallen out of my trap, mate? I've you're fallen out of your trap. Only classic. I um, am the one that's laughing now because I've just reminded you how much you hate Bono and you two. I was actually just about to say, yep. <laughs> now I'm going to fucking irritated by that Irish bastard all night. I fucking hate Bono. Sorry for any Irish folk listening. I have no problem with Irish folk. I love Irish folk, but I fucking hate Bono. You do hate Bono. You have told me oh, on more than uh, one occasion you plan to assassinate Bono. Yeah, well, I tell you, see, as soon as that crowdfunding fucking picks up, I am buying a Tomahawk missile and I'm taking that fucker out. Anyway, that's a whole new story. That, that was quite racist, John, time. Do you remember that time I wanted to borrow everybody's kids and I was going to black them up and make a fake refugee camp at the back of my house so Bono turned up? I'm fairly sure that wasn't on the podcast under the stairs we did that. that was no, rock, it was. That was, was rock and real reviews. For, for, anybody, for anybody that's friends with me on Facebook, if you troll back about six years through my Facebook post, you'll find, find out a three-night rant, which was basically my plan. Do you know only one of my mates, Campbell Lawfer, Campbell, my, my partner used to work me in the pub in the room. Campbell, I know for a fact you don't listen to this shite, mate, but see if you do, you were the only one that was going to lend me your kid. <laughs> only one. No, oh, I didn't have a kid at the time, Baz. Um, do you have your own kids? You could have used your own kid. Uh, well, that's hard, but to make it look like a genuine Sudanese refugee camp in Grangemouth, <laughs> it needs more than one Wayne. <laughs> Was that not? Was he not like, like a depressed goth now as well? Do you know what I mean? Oh God! The paler me. the fucking better we have. There's no way I'm going to get her to black up now. <laughs> Did, I'm trying to remember. Were they not? They were headlining some festival. I think that's what prompted it. 
wasn't it? They were headlining some televised. It wasn't Glastonbury, but it might be Glastonbury. Oh, oh yeah, it, it was something like that. Yeah, there was a televised appearance, and that set you it off. Just came out like he was Jesus. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, you know, it starts shouting about world debt. Yeah, mate, sell a fucking you know, sell a half of your fucking property and just wipe. I put fucking Sudan's debt there and then, you goggle-eyed little cunt. <laughs> oh, I fucking hate him. See, I hate him. Do you know, I tell you what... <laughs> the Unforgettable Fire, the Joshua Tree, you know, brilliant rock albums. Going back earlier, War in October. Genuine post-punk genius. They were... One of the finest rock bands that Ireland and even the UK ever produced. And then they just just went shite. <laughs> and the more shite they got, the more important he thought he was. <laughs> until he just lost all fucking grip on reality. And thought he was like the second coming of Christ in creepy yellow fucking shades. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then he seemed to think, now that I'm actually descended from God himself, I can just dress like a cunt. <laughs> and just, I can see whatever I want and I'm fucking bulletproof. Do you know what I mean? Somebody kill him. Kill Bono. Do you know, I watched that film, Killing Bono. You seen that? No. That's a great film, but unfortunately he does not fucking die in it. <laughs> Right, back to Japan. <laughs> ah, Jesus, that was a good rant. No who do you hate more, Japan or Bono? Oh, Bono. Well, that's fine then. That's fine. Let's Honest. go. Yeah. Uh, see, Japan, if you're listening and you decide you have to build one of those horrendous railways in the middle of the jungle again, fucking make Bono do it. Right? Nobody will care. Nobody will try you for war crimes. Make him and fuck, just get the rest of them, because they're all to blame for not reeling them in. The edge is nearly as bad now. You're clearly bald. The edge. I don't even care about your stupid name, right? I got over that years ago. You are clearly a bald man. The edge. Stop dressing like Ali G. Everybody knows you're bald. You know what I mean? But the other two, it's the fucking drummer. He's apparently, it's his band. He's the evil genius behind all of this. But he will do nothing to stop this pair of cunts at the front. <laughs> Honestly, God. Oh, oh, I did not think we were going to go down this road when we started this review. This is amazing. Honestly. Oh, see, the last laughs on Duncan all the time. That's what, that's what you get for mentioning YouTube as. John oh. F. Kennedy probably could have been one of the greatest American presidents assassinated before he could do any fucking good and nobody shot Bono yet. <laughs> fucking justice. <laughs> right. Back to see that? Oh, What's that thing, that DVD you bought? What's it called again? <laughs> it's 112263. What that should actually have been was somebody travelling through a time portal back to the 22nd of November 1963 and fucking shooting Bono's maw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just take out the bloodline. 
don't even know where I'm I ain't want to talk about this film anymore (laughs) 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 oh oh, oh, god that's the fucking greatest you poked the lion (laughs) McLeish poked the lion motherfucker where am I right yep so we're literally not even the first five minutes of this film I'm so glad that this movie doesn't have many moving parts. <laughs> 20 minutes screaming about Bono. Right. Um, yeah, right. So he goes back to the crazy woman's house a few weeks later. She's moved out. He sees the thing with her name on it, which is important later on. There's lots of dead birds lying about. Five days after this, the original woman that he went to see, mm-hmm. daughter, they've both died in a car accident. Um. Then it then cuts to like a, a TV show. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things actually, I'd gone on Wikipedia to try and see if I get a pronunciation of this Noroi, and um, I, I just I normally try not to read anything about the films because I'd rather get like a proper reaction kind of thing, you know. But just the first couple of lines had said something like this film. Um, it's kind of underrated if you like in the Japanese horror because it has a huge cast of characters mm-hmm. and it's nearly two hours long Yes, and traditionally I think they have fairly small cast of characters although Juon was quite fucking confusing they had lots of people um, but they're not that long either and I, I was quite worried about this film I I, I don't know if I wasn't actually joking about the, the August Underground thing there was a little bit of me that had equated it to that film and for some reason didn't like it. And because I didn't really enjoy Juon, I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy this film. Um, and oh god, it's two hours fucking long and I'll wait a minute here. They're telling me that everybody doesn't like it because there's hundreds of characters. And you had said it's quite weird. Yes. Oh god, see. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of anime is kind of odd in that. I thought, fuck, this film's just going to be fucking terrible. And then, so... You've seen the guy goes to interview some people, some people that were involved with have died, and then it just cuts out to this other show of, well, here we go. I'm really going to focus because it's clearly going to be about six different stories that all tie in at the end or something like that, you know? And it's not really like that. Mm -hmm. I feel that some of the stuff I read on the internet was actually quite unfair to this film. But I'll come on to that later on as well. So this TV show, is basically there's... um, kids there's a kind of classroom full of kids and this over-the-top mullet sporting tv presenter um, and they're testing these kids for psychic abilities and one little girl um actually appears to be able to do it you know they've got little plastic containers that have a piece of paper in it with like an image or a shape something drawn on it and the wee girl nails like four out of four um, and fails on the fifth one I, I was kind of focused on that for a little bit thinking is that is there a secret in that there didn't appear to be after that um, the kids are all basically made to stare at sealed glass bottles and try and make water appear in them and this girl does there's a little bit of water appears in the bottom but there's a hair in it mm-hmm. and then they have the, the hair analysed and due to some chemical compound or something, a lack of chemical compound, they say, you know, if it came from a human, it came from a baby which is the second reference we've had to babies Mm -hmm. and there are themes that run through this film and there's little 
hints dropped at them all, all the way through it, and Babies is one of them. Um, Kobe Ashi, the reporter guy, he goes to interview this girl. So while it did jump out into a completely different storyline, it pulls it back in fairly, fairly quickly. Yeah. You know, he is this investigative journalist who studies these kind of things, so the next one he goes to see is this wee girl. But it turns out she's not been well since the TV show. Um, there's then a video of kind of two youngish kind of guys and a girl who claims to have a kind of sick... The girl claims to have a kind of sixth sense. And they go to this old shrine out in the woods to kind of ghost hunt. It's a bit Derek Akora at this point, I've got to say. <laughs> but the girl collapses screaming and, you know, things kind of have gone awry. It's not gone quite how they planned. Um, and later on, the, the that girl and Kobayashi are on. I thought it was a TV show at first, but I think it's actually like a discussion panel. Yes. Um, talking about it, and they then go to bring in this so-called expert. It's this fucking crazy ass motherfucker, <laughs> and like a tinfoil hat and a tinfoil coat. Yeah. And he's really edgy, like they can hardly get him on. When he goes on, he basically just fucking it. sees the girl, goes mental and attacks him and starts screaming about pigeons. Yes. Which is weird. But we have seen deep pigeons before. Oh, it's all coming full circle, don't we? <laughs> it's a circle of life, my friend. Uh, where are we now? Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, later on, the girl, the, the the one that had collapsed at the shrine and then was on the, the panel thing, um, she is shown part of the video from the shrine that had been hidden from her previously because they were worried about upsetting her. And basically, it, it's just before she collapses, the camera pans around a little bit and in the background between some trees, there is this kind of grey childlike figure it's very blurred you can't really see much but it's clearly a human and it doesn't appear to be fully grown like, you know, it looks like a kind of child um, standing between the trees and her as she turns her head her hair kind of blocks it and then when she turns back again it's gone mm -hmm. uh, that was quite creepy I've got to say and it, that, that was that oh right that was a bit creepy type thing you know that just started to put me on edge a little bit. It's I'm very. Not... Do you not think it's very? Last I was going. Yeah, well, across between the last broadcast, I was going to say late Mungo, because this this movie has a tendency yeah. to show you the same shot again and zoom in on other parts. And something in it, yeah, you're absolutely right. I hadn't picked up on that, but you're bang on. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. Um. Right, so I can't, too much red wine, I can't keep up with my fucking nose In here, fairness, this movie yeah. jumps around, not jumps around it a does. lot, but there's a lot of things happening in this movie. Yeah, so every paragraph in my notes is completely disparate, it's, it's quite weird, it's quite unsettling. Yeah, she's also, the girl has also started drawing these weird kind of circular patterns, and she says she's doing it subconsciously, she doesn't realise she's doing it. Anyway, it then cuts back to the wee psychic girl from earlier, and her name's Kana. Yeah. And she's feeling better, but her mum says that she started talking to somebody that's not there. So he goes to see them. The like Kobayashi goes to see them. And there's that kind of telekinetic event at the dinner table. Like the, the plates start to fly off. 
the parents rush the wee girl away into another room, and it's that there's that whole Japanese, you know, oh excuse me, bowing and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Honestly, mate, it's fine. Your kid just made all the fucking stuff fly about the room. Get her the fuck out. <laughs> you know, you don't need to apologise to me, mate. I'm fucking terrified. Um, I'll just sit here, cake to munch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'll just watch the spinning spoon that she's managed to break into with her mind. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Then. Uh, there's a, a young TV presenter who I initially uh, this is my casual racism creeping in but I thought it was, I thought it was the girl from the shrine but it's not but that girl from the shrine did say she was an actress I mean this other young kind of relatively same age Asian girl come on I thought it was the same one but it's not she's doing like a TV thing and she says I'm going to interview the super psychic that lives in here she goes to this weird looking house and when she opens the door it's fucking tinfoil guy yay yeah, and he talks to them about ectoplasmic worms for a bit. Um, he's like the, you know, the, you talk about the autistic spectrum. He's way off the end of that. Um, he has like fucking Tourette's and ADHD wrapped up in one tinfoil ball of fucking lunacy. <laughs> um, we then find out that Kana, the wee uh, psychic girl, she's disappeared. Um, but. When Kobayashi goes and speaks to her parents, he finds out that Tinfoil Guy had actually been coming to visit her prior to that. Now, <laughs> at this point, I did have to say, right, hold on a minute, here's Kobayashi. <laughs> Why? Why is nobody questioning the fact that the parents allowed a random stranger, <laughs> adult male, in to just hang about with her kid who's not been well and has frankly been acting a bit peculiar let alone one who wears tin foil over everything <laughs> that is I think possibly the, o- the only time in this film there has to be a little suspension of disbelief you're like oh yeah there's this guy who's coming round to see her they do stress what? that she what? said he was okay some guy turned up at the door like is your daughter in mate no, she's fucking no nonce. Where's my phone? Camera phone, click. Fuck off, I'm phoning the police, you pervert. Yeah, the, the assailant looks like a baked potato. <laughs> yeah. No. No, That's it, exactly what I did the last time Duncan came to the house, actually. He does. Fuck off, you pervert. Took a photo of me, posted it to some sex offenders website. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in, in fairness, the parents do say that she said that he was okay. The they make that and I would also say that we are imposing a western ideal on an eastern culture get to fuck <laughs> right <laughs> it's I'm a different wor- different world over there and plus the, the parents do say it, it was strange that he showed up however she said it was okay for him to come in just say yeah, that's like going like that yeah, it was different in the 70s you went on kids TV, you get felt up. It was just the way it was in the seventies. But right. in fairness, she has she she's her parents know that she's psychic and she's fucked things off a table. I'm <laughs> yeah. ju- I'm just saying, like if 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 creepy little daughter says it's okay for the man wearing tin fog to come in and speak to her, then you do what creepy little daughter does just in case she fucks with your mind or melts you like a spoon. I don't know. Wasn't the scene? No, that's where I draw the line. I think I'd like right, not him. Right, you can throw the fucking 
stuff about the room like Carrie, right? I don't fucking mind. But no, he's no fucking coming in. I don't care what you say. He's, he's like a shite extra from Monkey. <laughs> like a shite villain for Monkey. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So basically, before she vanished, tinfoil guy had been coming to visit her, and apparently she'd been drawing the same patterns as the Shrine Girl. Yeah. From earlier, um, Kobe actually goes to visit tinfoil guy, right? And instead of basically taking the police with him to arrest him, um, <laughs> interviews him and asks him about it. Now there is a fucking great bit in this. Where uh, obviously they're talking in Japanese and you have to read the subtitles. But even when you're reading the subtitles, you can hear what they're saying. Uh-huh. And there is a bit where he's describing something. I don't know why is he's describing. Can't remember. <laughs> but he basically uses this term, "bidi bidi bidi," <laughs> and I'm like that. Oh my god! Buck he's, he's dressed as Tweaky from Buck Rogers. That's what the tin foils for. He thinks he's fucking Tweaky. <laughs> Oh, I was ready to turn this film off at that point. I was like, ah, oh, fucking tweaky. Beady, beady, beady. <laughs> he says that about three times. I nearly shat. Um, then he talked matters off. He basically says that the ectoplasmic worms have eaten canna. I don't think they have, mate. I really don't. Um, fucking amazing. He then... He, the, the, he has these flyers, so like the, the tinfoil guy, he's intensely paranoid. He's like one of these like conspiracy theorists, clearly, but it has you know multiple other things fucking going on. Um, and he has lots of flyers himself, and he appears to have given some to Kana, uh-huh. and she drawn on them and stuff. And Kobayashi's is taking them with him, and tinfoil guy seems to get some kind of psychic reading from the one that was taken from her room. And he starts asking what Kagutaba is. And this is the first time that we hear this name. He then freaks out and there's a bit of video disturbance. The video disturbance, I think, as well, is meant to look like lots of, be- lots of little baby faces screaming. Uh, not quite, but... No? No, it's... Uh, it's uh, I can tell you just now if you want or we can save it to the end. Right, we'll come back to it. Come back to it. Let's not ruin it in the moment. But I thought it was a bit clumsy. It was... I don't mind the camera interference and then maybe they focus on it later and there's something in the camera interference. This seemed a bit too clumsy and full-on for me. But anyway, you can tell me about that later on. Um, Where are we? Yeah, so there's video disturbance. Uh, The the tinfoil guy appears to have kind of almost divined some kind of map to where Kana is from the flyer you know like he seemed to be getting messages from it and drew this map kind of thing Kobe actually tries and follows it but it's not very easy to follow and he kind of fails um, Shrine Girl calls him and he goes to see her and she basically shows him lots of little woven loops of string that she basically said I woke up and these were all in my house um, so he's like that's a bit fucking weird why don't I leave a camera to film you while you sleep. Mm-hmm. Right, now, I went on a total different tangent here, Duncan. <laughs> um, 
I think, in fairness, that says more about me than it does about the filmmaking. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, Shrine Girl does not have sex with anything or indeed herself during the night. But we do see her get up and she kind of unplugs something. And I know it was a lamp. It's a, a lamp, yeah. Dehumidifier or something like that. It takes the, the cable and she goes out onto a balcony and I thought, oh, she's going to fucking hang herself here. But after a couple of minutes, she comes back in and goes back to her bed, basically. And she's clearly sleepwalking. It's apparent that it's not a, a conscious effort. Um, very paranormal activity. Yeah, it was. It was very paranormal activity. And it was actually one of the things that went through my head. Um, in the morning, basically, we see that she's woven them into loops out on the veranda around all like, the, the railings and stuff. There's also a kind of thumping noise that you hear that doesn't... Uh, they focus on it, but it doesn't ever really get made clear, although you do kind of find out later on. Um Kobayashi finally does track down the building that was in the map that Tinfoil Guy had made. Um, there's no answer at the door. It's a Mr. Osawa. He speaks to his neighbours and all that. He goes back to see him on the 7th of January. That freaked me the fuck out. Why? Why did that freak you out? Because it's my birthday. That freaked you out because it was your birthday. Really? Yeah, because I, I... And the reason I mentioned this in my notes... I was starting to get a little bit weird feeling and edgy. All right. By this point in this film, and I don't know, but for some reason, when my birthday flashed up, that that, that's weird. But I wonder, wonder if it does that for everyone. I was going to say when I watched Duncan. Duncan, go to forty-five minutes. What date do you see? It's the thirtieth of September, Buzz. Fuck! Right, <laughs> right, oh, right. Just, just to clarify, none of that happens, right? But oh, my, I so wish you had said that to me now. The, the levels of fuckery I could have played on you would have been <laughs> otherworldly, honestly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I don't fucking contact you, Islamically. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I genuinely was like, it's my last thing. Anyway, yeah, you're probably right. It probably wasn't intentional. It was probably just a happy coincidence. I hope so. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so he's outside the building that he's now found, which he thinks that Can is in. Um, the, ba- the balcony's covered in pigeons, so the pigeons are back. Um, then Osawa comes out and we see his face, and he basically just fucking grabs a pigeon and goes back in. Yep. It's kind of weird. Um <laughs> And then we find out a few days later he disappears. Um, sorry, this is going to be a monument. My, my notes are fucking on point for this one. In fairness, because the film jumps about so much, I thought I, I literally need to document every minute of this film. So uh, there's no point in watching this film after this review, folks, because you've essentially just seen it in your mind <laughs> I will I, I will before before the show drops I will make sure to put that out you can watch a rather grubby version of this on YouTube as well so I'll put the link to it but I would recommend uh, sourcing a slightly better copy yeah yeah and listen to me uh, along with it because it's going to last that my, basically my review is about two hours long which is the same length as the film Um, <laughs> right oh god no See, I shouldn't, I shouldn't take my notes on my iPad because I just scrolled up there and I've shot it off about fucking... Oh. <laughs> about a metre and a half through my notes. 
now I've lost my Skype thing. What's going on, Duncan? Oh, no. What's happening? It's all falling apart. Right, okay. We're back. Uh, not that back. <laughs> yeah, now we're back. Now we're back. Um, yeah, uh, Kobayashi's going back over the, the video of uh, Shrine Girl at the Shrine. Uh, <laughs> why, why, you, why do you keep going back to the one with a hot teenage chick in it, Kobayashi? <laughs> why do you keep watching that video over and over again, you fucking pervert? <laughs> anyway, he finds a voice in it, um, and it says Kagutaba, which is this word or name or whatever that we've heard before. Um, he then kind of goes and does a bit of research into this word, and he finds out, he, he kind of meets this, I think he's a historian or something, the guy, um, and he finds out it's the name of a demon um, that is tied to a very particular town. Sorry, I'm just wetting my whistle there. Um, that the, and it's tied to a very particular town that no longer exists, and the reason being they basically made a dam and flooded it, so it's one of these kind of underwater towns that you you do find uh-huh. uh, scattered across the world next to dams. Um and that, this particular village, there's a village and there's a neighbouring village, and the neighbouring village still exists. And I did get a bit confused between the two of them, but it doesn't really kind of detract from the, the plot of the film. Uh, but one was a village of sorcerers or something like that, uh-huh. like historically supposed to be. And anyway, as the years and centuries have progressed, this particular village performed this one particular ritual once a year, um, which was supposed to keep this alleged demon imprisoned but then basically the village was evacuated when the dam was built and it was flooded and the the ritual obviously no longer continues kind of thing um, so he's trying to find out a bit about this ritual and he finds this guy who the, the historian had mentioned um, and he actually has a film of the last performance of this ritual that was in the kind of supposed to I think be in the 1970s, the last time it was done before the dam was built, and there was a, it was filmed. Um, and we see it takes place at a shrine. Now I thought it was the shrine that the kids had gone to at the start, but it can't be because it is underwater now, uh-huh. and obviously. Um, but it's clearly a similar shrine. It looked very similar to the one they were at. Like maybe implying it's to the same god or demon or fucking whatever kind of thing. Um, and during this, you, so you see this sort of performance, if you like, of this ritual, and there's a kind of priest that is heading it all up kind of thing. And there's knocking of drums, and this ties into the knocking that we've heard at points. Mm-hmm. There's kind of knotted sheets, which I think are supposed to be the little loops that we see getting formed everywhere. Um and the whole time the, the priest kind of cutting about and he is this sickle which is kind of key as well and and during the ritual uh, uh, no sorry when he was getting explained about this village before they used to hang sickles above their door and all this kind of stuff and at the end of it he cuts like these knotted sheets and that this and somehow imprisons it but the last time it was done this time it was filmed he was unable to complete it because the, the girl who was playing there's the figure of uh, Kagutaba as part of the ritual, there's somebody dressed as the demon wearing this mask thing, like that kind of horn on its forehead. And um, the girl playing it collapses and starts screaming exactly the way 
we saw Shrine Girl scream kind of earlier on in the film and it turns out that the girl playing it was the priest's daughter um, which is quite key to things so basically the last time it was done um, it wasn't able to be completed it's now the the legend was that she was possessed um, because Kagutaba was angry that the ritual would no longer be performed kind of thing Um the priest, it was the priest that gave the tapes to this old historian guy. Um, and he died not long after it, and only his daughter, who was basically the one that was playing Kagutaba, is now or was supposedly possessed. Uh, she's the only one that's still alive from look, who you see on screen. Mm. Um, so, uh, what's his fucking name? What's this, the reporter guy's name? Kobayashi. Kobayashi. I need to admit the Kobayashi Maru. That's how it did like for Star Trek. I need to remember that. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go and meet her. I'm going to go and speak to her. She's the next logical step in all this. He drives to this uh, village, this small village. Now, it's not the village, obviously, from earlier on because it's underwater now. I think it's the neighbouring village, supposed to be. Um, and the, the whole. The, Every house is a dog, and apparently dogs were used in this ritual. Yeah. Um, and as he's driving through, basically, everywhere there's a dog. And these ropes with the loops in them are just fucking everywhere, particularly around this house um, where this woman's supposed to live. He goes to the door, she opens the door, it's the fucking crazy bitch fair later on. Yep. Fuck my ass. <laughs> and it's um, good to see that she's playing her greatest hits, Buzz. Yeah, yeah, because she's basically just screaming about why are you talking to me like that kind of thing. Yeah, so that was quite unnerving. Um, yeah, basically she goes fucking nuts kind of thing. Um, Kobe Ashi goes and interviews one of the childhood, one of her childhood friends, who's saying um, that she used to be perfectly normal, but ever since that ritual that we saw, she's been completely different, and she she believes that she was possessed at the time. Um, as he's interviewing this woman she suddenly just basically gets up and fucking walks away very slowly like in the middle of a conversation he just goes all weird looking stands up and walks away Um, he then speaks to somebody who worked with the crazy bitch who we now know as the priest's daughter yeah and is it is it Junko or Junko or something Junko Junko Um. Yeah, he's now, he then goes to speak to her. She had apparently had left the village to go and train to be a nurse, ended up working in a obstetrics clinic. So he goes and meets somebody who worked with her when she was a nurse. And she said that the clinic that they all worked at had used to perform abortions, but like way past the legal cut-off limit for an abortion. Yeah. Um, and she mentioned something, that there was a rumour that uh, Jonko used to keep the fetuses after they'd been removed or whatever which is quite disturbing I've got to say um, we then find out that the girl that lives upstairs from the shrine girl has killed herself and she basically hung herself with six other people in a park they hung themselves on the kids swings um, and Osawa the pigeon killer for earlier on was another one of them <laughs> yeah it's he was just all coming together. Mm-hmm. We then find out that one of his neighbours was Jonko. Yes. 
Oh, what a tapestry the weave, Duncan. <laughs> honestly. Um, Shrine Girl goes to stay with Kobayashi's wife because she's a bit fucked up kind of thing by this point. We're in, there's a news report and it turns out that we Kana, the wee psychic girl, her dad has killed the mum. Yeah. Um, and is now in custody. Um, at the Kobayashi house, Shrine Girl starts to kind of groan and she collapses in the house with the, with the wife. Uh, and as she collapses, these pigeons fly into the window, which was quite fucking creepy. Uh-huh. Uh, even creepier that they actually had to employ some wee guy to throw dead pigeons at a window. <laughs> that's a shite job. I was waiting to see, like... The I don't care what year you're in at film school, that's a fucking crap job for an intern. <laughs> I was waiting hey, to take see... this box of dead birds and see when I tip you the wink, throw them like fuck at that window. <laughs> I was waiting to see the disclaimer at the end that said no pigeons were harmed in the making of this movie, but that never came. No, because about 140 pigeons were harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> and quite a few dogs, but we're going to get more of that later on. Um, yeah. They then go to visit Tinfoil Guy, uh, and they show him the visit of the priest. The, the video rather of Junko and he freaks out was fucking mental yeah. Shrine Girl then decides she wants to go to the dam where the village is and perform the ritual she's kind of convinced that she's been possessed or something like that and wants to perform this ritual mm-hmm. for some reason the incredibly paranoid tinfoil guy agrees to go with them they get to the dam, Kobayashi and Shrine Girl they basically roll out because Kobayashi, as well as being an investigative journalist, is quite the fucking ancient mariner. <laughs> and he is a- able to fucking navigate over open water using only the stars in broad daylight when you cannot see the stars. So he's like a master mariner. Right? He's like, yeah, yeah, the, the shrine must just be over there. Aye, of course it is, mate. Right, fucking whatever. Um, they row out to it. Um, and she performs a fucking, frankly, half-assed version of the ritual in the wee rowing boat they're in. Um, and then suddenly claims to be feeling a lot better. But on shore, tinfoil guy's going fucking nuts. Shouts them back in. I thought we were going to get a real fucking horror scene at this point, but we don't. They basically roll back in. Um, and then tinfoil guy goes fucking mental and runs off out of the woods. Yeah, he keeps shouting on Kana. Kana yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so Kobe Ashley goes after him Shrine Girl goes to the car with the cameraman and has a kind of possession incident she kind of wakes up later on in the woods uh, Kobe Ashley and uh, Tinfoil Guy they're running about they find hundreds of dead dogs in the wood there's an area roped off and it's got pigeon feathers and pigeon feet in the rope um, Shrine Girl attacks camera guy and runs off basically Uh Tinfoil guy finds this kind of ancient wooden shrine, so it looks like the previous shrines we've seen, but it's made of wood. It's like a kind of makeshift looking one, but it's yep. very, very old. And the pattern that they've been drawing is carved in a stone. And then, and this bit was horrible actually, very briefly the camera kind of flicks on to night vision, because it is night time by this point. And as soon as it flicks over, underneath the kind of arch in the shrine, you see this sort of small female figure and there are hundreds of tiny little babies and fetuses crawling all over it crying out yeah it's fucking horrible man 
wee tinfoil guy is losing his shit by this point, as was I, I've got to say. Um, yeah, then Shrine Girl is a kind of fucking seizure in the woods and appears to snap out of it all. Um, Kobe Ashi basically takes her and tinfoil guy to the hospital and then goes to confront Jonko. Um breaks into her house and basically finds her hanging up the house is fucking filthy yeah. there's pigeons everywhere there's dead dogs everywhere goes up the stairs she's basically hanging through the rafters uh, there's also a wall made up of fucking masks of Kagutaba uh-huh. and then over behind like a wee desk or something he finds the wee boy like the, the supposedly Jonko's son sitting there like kind of just very quietly sitting there and Kana's there I thought at first she was kind of comatose but it turns out she's dead she's dead yeah he calls the cops and then we then cut to like a news report um, and we find out that the wee boy wasn't actually Jonko's at all um, we then rather weirdly find out that he basically and, and the, the intrepid reporter that discovered him has decided to adopt him so basically three days after this he's now adopted <laughs> yeah but yeah the adoption process must work really quick oh it? like greased fucking lightning <laughs> oh but that's no his mum right Who, who's his mum you don't know I'll take him then he shall be my son forthwith yeah. cool sign sign there mate Kobe Ashy there we go right so yes basically they've adopted him like instantly um, assuming probably on the internet the Japanese were much further ahead with us on the internet they probably had a fast track adoption thing available via fucking Bebo once, like once again I, I'm not entirely sure how adoption works in Japan you know what I mean in terms of the, the process I know there are I see Eastern culture I swear to god I'm going to hang up drive out of your house and put you in the bus <laughs> no specifically in Japan Japan have like really weird kind of customs when it comes to the family unit and I don't know if adoption is popular and if it's not popular that might explain why he got the kid so quick because they'll basically just give you any cunt pretty much yeah <laughs> okay um, yeah so he's living with Kobayashi and his wife Shrine Girl appears to be a lot better Tinfoil guy's been committed yeah and, well, he's basically in an asylum in fairness he probably should have been there before the film in this oh movie. he was <laughs> asking for it man asking for it you can't walk about looking like that <laughs> Um, the thing is back to the old historian guy that gave Kobayashi the, the, the films um, he has found a scroll he'd gone through a lot of files and stuff and he found a scroll that basically depicts a raising ritual yeah. for this Kagutaba um, and it kind of goes part of the way to explaining what we've witnessed uh, that basically um, Junko was using Kana as a kind of medium in some way to raise Kagutaba. The ritual apparently demanded like the, the killing baby monkeys. Yeah. So she used babies because I suppose at the end of the day we are you know part of the same genus as apes. Yeah. Um, so she used babies, you know, actual real babies, but apparently she fed them to Kana, which I found quite disgusting. I've got yeah. to say. Basically, she was feeding the fetuses to the there you go. There's a link between the two movies. I hadn't even put that together. Between what two movies? Well, what what was a uh, what was Christopher Lee selling? Oh, the baby rum. 
There's a weird link between these two movies after <laughs> all. There is. <laughs> there is indeed. Um, and basically the original film ends at this point. Yes. So the, 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 the film, the Noroi film that uh, Gobiashi had made ends here. But the documentary that we are watching, if you like, continues. Um, Kobayashi's house is burnt down, the wife's dead. Tin foil guy's escaped and is found dead. Yeah, um, in a pretty gruesome way as well. Yeah, he's getting like crammed into an air duct type thing. Um, and then a, a pub, this I think it's a publishing company, supposed to be or a TV company, basically received this parcel with no return address, but the name on it is Kobayashi's. And there's a camera, a video camera in it with a tape, and they play the tape. And the tape basically shows tinfoil guy turning up at Kobayashi's house in, like, his pyjamas for the asylum, Uh with a big rock in his hand. Um, Everything happens quite quickly in this last kind of scene. He basically, he says that the boy is Kitaba. That Kagutaba's not dead or imprisoned or whatever. Yeah, he's been and, he's, he's been transferred. The ritual yeah, transferred him into the yeah. boy. Um, and he attacks them all, including the boy. Um, the boy, at one point, it looks like Kobayashi's going to be able to talk him out of it, and then Tinfoil Guy just snaps and starts laying it in the boy's head with a stone. Yeah. Um, and then everything goes quiet very briefly, and Kobayashi's been struck and he's kind of fallen with the camera. And then the camera kind of turns back around to focus on the other ones. And you get a glimpse of the boy standing upright. So he's just been bludgeoned to death. He's now standing perfectly upright, totally still, and his face looks like Kagutaba. Yeah. Or like one of these masks. And you just get a glimpse of it. And then it cuts back to him again, and he's still standing exactly where he was, but his face is just covered in blood, but it does look like a wee boy's face. Um, Did you see the creepy thing behind him? Yes. Oh, no, Basically, <laughs> in the corner, it looks like kind of Kana's ghost type thing that we've seen, the grey figure that we've seen through it. Which I think is, is Kana. Yeah, which is what the image was um, back at the shrine, the original shrine thing with the girl. The that's trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. You, you get a little glimpse of that in the corner. And... It suddenly it seems really obvious that it was there and then they pan back and it's not and well, right, so it's another thing. Um, tinfoil guy looks to be in a weird kind of trance and he basically takes the little boy's hand and they walk out together. Um, or he hits Kobayashi and then walks out holding the boy's hand. Keiko then does the groaning, like the wife, she's been knocked out, she then does the groaning thing that was a shrine girl doing earlier. Um... And she gets up and she's apparently possessed and she basically goes through and immolates herself. She pours pets all over herself and sets herself on fire, mm-hmm. which causes the 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 um, the fire, obviously, that we know the house was destroyed by. Um, and it ends there. It ends with Kobayashi kind of trying to stop her, but he can't. You know, yeah. he's kind of... Because he's been beaten and she's in fire. Um, this film is creepy as fuck. Yes! And... Oh, I didn't think you were going to say that. I no. Think... It... It wasn't 
I don't know why folk were saying, oh, it's weird and it's hard to understand because there's so many characters and it's too long and bollocks. It's quite easy to understand. It's not any harder to understand than any other of this type of film. Agreed. And I personally seem to find Japanese cinema quite confusing and I didn't think this one really was. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't think it was over long. I thought, I thought it was actually pitched quite well. There are a lot of stories going, but the stories are all interwoven and it's not like everything comes together in the last five minutes. Yep. You know, they weave them together all the way through. Things start to make sense as it goes on. So it's not like fuck all makes sense for, you know, an hour and 50 minutes in the last 10 minutes it all comes together. It's not like that. Um, but I, I don't know why <laughs> I was, I was genuinely quite creeped out. Um, and and this is what I was going to come back to, right? I watched this in the day. Uh-huh. It was very sunny here this morning. Now, see, I do have blackout curtains in this room. They don't work brilliant, but they do work a bit. So it was in that kind of darkish room. Um, because it was in the morning, it was... The film was getting interrupted. My wife was still about. We had stuff to get done today, so I, I had to kind of pause it and go and talk to her and stuff like that. And it wasn't pitch black, and by the end of it, when I went for my shower and stuff like that, I was getting, like, paranormal activity freaked out. Yeah, yeah. Like, washed my hair and then realised my eyes are shut. Uh-huh. Like, get this soap out my eyes because I really want to open my eyes. <laughs> and what got me was something like that. If I had watched this last night, in the pitch black down the stairs because when I watched uh, The Devil's Backbone it was late last night it was pitch black my wife was away to her bed there was nobody in that well my wife was upstairs obviously in her bed but you know there was nobody awake in the house apart from me pitch black if I had watched this then I would have fucking shat myself <laughs> honestly and I tell you it's fucking it's these four documentaries yeah it reminded me a lot, not necessarily the, the film, reminded me, the reaction that I had to it reminded me a lot of the reaction I had to the last broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought the story in this was brilliant. Yeah. I really did. I, I really wasn't looking forward to this film, to the point that I'd said to you, I was talking to Big Dave Buchanan, if you don't do reviews the other day, my work, and like, Dave... I'm like, that Duncan's getting me that one. Like, I'm not fucking paying £18 or £16, mate, for a film I'm never going to fucking watch again. I've yeah. watched this tomorrow. I thought this film was awesome. But it freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, like, to put things into perspective, the first time I watched this movie, um, this is, like, Baz knows, that many people that listen to this show know, I have really bad insomnia, like really, really bad insomnia, and it comes and yep. goes, um, which generally means that quite regularly, about half one, two in the morning, I'll sit down and watch a movie. You know, I'll shove a movie on and watch it just to basically kill some time yeah. until I either feel like I probably could go to sleep or, you know, just to occupy my mind so I'm not lying in my bed wide awake. Um, and this when I watched this movie it was during a particularly bad stint of insomnia and um, the movie really got me like really 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 got me and 
it's funny because like last year when you were talking about last broadcast the, the the enduring thing that I remember from that review is you kept you were almost in disbelief at the end because you were like that nothing happens it doesn't show you anything yeah and I, and I don't know why it gets me because it, it shouldn't get me and um, this movie's exactly the same the curse had the same effect on me in that if I lay everything out and talk about it it's not scary no it's not uh, yeah I completely agree with that but in the context of this movie is there is something so so not terrifying but it gets under your skin and it just makes me feel really uncomfortable and watching this movie last night as well and this is something I would highly recommend although I get a feeling you're going to tell me to fuck off um, <laughs> is if you do watch this movie again um, or when you watch this movie again if you get the opportunity to wear headphones and watch it because the sim design is fucking terrifying it's just this sense I, of... I actually did watch it with, sound, uh, with headphones on I had to watch it on my laptop oh do, do you not think um, that like the score in the background is, there's huge sections where it's just this building sense of volume it's just like these weird kind of pulsing like this playing and it gets it gets louder in bits but never to the point of what you would now get which is like a bang you know a jump scare yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Fucking just and the last broadcast uses the exact same thing it's just this it just lies in the bottom and it's not overpowering it's almost not present to your ear like unless you're really paying attention but it's pretty much all the way throughout the movie and it just makes you feel uncomfortable and it makes you feel edgy and watching this movie last night I felt 100% exactly the same way as I did 10 years ago watching it and mm-hmm. I just, I could not for the life of me and I knew what the twist was I knew, yeah. I knew the story I, I, funnily enough the thing that I'd forgotten was how many stories how many different components yeah, of the stories it, yeah, yeah. yeah by the end it's like it's like piecing together a jigsaw puzzle um, there's nothing in this movie which everything that happens in this movie is answered in this movie and tied up at the end and this is what I was saying about the unusual thing for Japanese cinema um, is most of Japanese cinema doesn't feel the need to answer those questions in a movie yeah that's why I got annoyed that folks were saying, oh, you know, it, it's too confusing. It doesn't, uh, you know, there, there, there's so, such a wide cast. There's not that fucking wide a cast in it. Yeah, there, there's other people in it, but it all comes together. And yeah, and folk were like, oh, it's too, it's weird. And it's, you know, it's too confusing. It's not at all. Yeah, it's not it re- at all. really isn't. And the reason Japanese cinema doesn't feel the need to answer those questions is a lot of it is rooted in the culture. You know, uh-huh. I mean, like, for example, the reason the ring, or Ringu, over here was terrifying is that it was this little girl with the long black hair moving weirdly and all the rest. And then there was a whole spate of movies that came out with little girls with long black hair and were like that. Or they're just copying the ring until you realise that that is a cultural thing. Like, mm-hmm. that, that, that iconic image of the girl with the long black hair is deeply rooted into the mythology and ghost stories in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it dates back two thousand years, so to them it's just you know it's just natural that if you're doing a ghost story, that's what's in it. To us, it doesn't make it, it's like it just seems like someone has like wrote something and then everyone's copying them, and that's a lot of the cinema does that. A lot of the cinema um, 
is not necessarily as scary over here, but is very scary in Japan. But then there's a lot of things that they put out which, because they tell stories in such a different manner, they become uncomfortable to watch because we can't, like, when you watch Audition, Audition is a fucking horribly terrifying movie. Um, which was, you know, it was a it was a scary movie in Japan, but its impact in the West was greater because we'd just never seen anything fucking like that. Um, and that that's what makes this movie interesting, is this movie really is kind of set out like a kind of Western sort of thriller. And I think in movies like um, What Lies Beneath or Stir of Echoes, where we have a ghost story which reveals itself throughout, it's a mystery of sort. The Devil's Backbone is exactly the same. It's this story we've got, but instead of getting that flashback, which explains how the boy ends up in the well, they're a full story, um, this gives you all the components as you go through. Like, we see a character, we see Tinfoil Man for the first time on a show, we're like, oh, that's a bit weird. Within the next five minutes, we've met Tinfoil Man and we're conducting an interview with him. So the movie just shows you something and then fits it into the story as you go along. And if anything, that shouldn't necessarily make it creepy. It should work against it because there's no mystery. But that's yeah. the genius of the story. The mystery is constantly unfolding as this goes on. It is a constant like revelation. You're turning cards every time we move to a new date and it's piecing together the entire story right along. And that's where it does share similarities with movies like Ring. Um, because in the ring, it's this seven-day mystery to unlock what happened to uh, Sadako. Um, you know, this race against time. And the more days that pass, the more we find that in the investigation we slot them in. So it is kind of rooted in Japanese cinema with a Western approach. But this movie, to me, is... You can see almost every found footage movie branching off from this one. There's elements of Lake Mungo, there's elements of... And in turn, it's, I can't think for one second it wasn't influenced by Last Broadcast. So it takes the Last Broadcast element, it influences Paranormal Activity, in my eyes, it influences uh, Poughkeepsie, in my eyes, it influences, certainly influences Lake Mungo, on some level. Um, and it adds them all in, and it does it, and it, this movie is, like, legitimately coming back to the first thing that I thought was why is it taking me 10 years to come back and then I actually instead of like hating myself for doing it Buzz, I then thought to myself if there was ever a time and a place that I would want to revisit this movie it's for Baz v Halloween and I was praying last night when I watched this I was praying that you had a similar reaction to it and the fact that you told me you did it just makes me feel fucking it, like competition be damned it makes me feel great <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really wasn't expecting to enjoy this film. Because, um, like, when we did Dune, I, I really didn't enjoy it. Uh-huh. I, I just didn't like it. Um, and I really thought I was in for uh, just a lot more of that. And it's not. Yeah, it's interesting you see there's a Western feel. Uh, there is definitely a Western. It doesn't come across like a Japanese horror film. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, the customs and the culture are very much prevalent, yeah. but the storytelling is very much Western. Yeah, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, you could have set this in, you know, rural South America somewhere, uh-huh. you know, or something like that, you know, or Greece, or something like that, anywhere that you think there could be a village that would perform a ritual every year, even up in the fucking highlands of Scotland, do you know what I mean? 
it would work in any of these kind of settings. It doesn't have to be in Japan. Yeah, it is kind of laden with their imagery and stuff like that. But um, the film itself does not feel Japanese to me yeah. at all. Um, I know. I'm just. I'm interested to hear that it just how how much it preceded some of these films. Yeah, I'm really quite surprised when you said that earlier on there. I mean, like the the thing the thing that's really like telling about Japanese horror cinema is it's not as I was going to say it's not as old. Technically, Japanese ghost stories and ho- I mean the the whole idea of Japanese cinema is based around horror stories. That's what they did. They used to hold these in the like sixteenth and seventeenth century. It was plays that were played out, you know, for for audience members, and it was all, you know, people wearing kabuki masks or hanya masks and demons and devils and all the rest and the stories and the ritual that we see is very much set out. They they have those rituals still in Japan, and not that particular one, um, but this idea of ceremony to keep demons at bay, and it's still ingrained in the culture, and their cinema reflects that quite a bit, and I think... It's, I mean, Japanese cinema was huge for a time, and you yeah. know, and Western like I mean, it's kind of starting to filter its way back through where people are look, you know, it spawned a look at other different Asian countries and how they handled their cinema, whether it's Vietnam, Korea, you know, China, they moved out, but the Japanese one landed at that sweet spot late nineties, early two thousands, and pretty much every Japanese horror movie got remade. Yeah, I think a lot of people were looking for something different. They were, yeah. Like, I mean, I wasn't watching horror films at that time, but you and I became aware of this. Yeah, I saw this Japanese watching... Everybody's watching these Japanese horror films. But yeah, I mean, I, I still watched The Ring. Yeah, you, you, you know were watching I mean? movies that... You, you would have already seen that with, you know, we, we had Scream and then we had like a, a, a hundred Scream clones that Hollywood was like, well, this has worked, let's see what else works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it was huge for a time. And this one, had it been released a couple of years earlier, would have been huge because Hollywood was still paying attention. But this is a, a, a small horror movie from a country we're not really looking at anymore doing a, a style of horror which is not going to be big for another two years, so no one's paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it flies under the radar and it's criminally underseen. Um, yeah, man, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you, you got out of it. What yeah, I, I, I genuinely thought it was great. It, it, it's up there with the kind of good ones that I've done over the years. Definitely up there, but I thought it was great. Right then, so let's let's get down to brass tacks, as they say, um, in this second of this episode, but fourth overall competition on the Pantheon, the stage, the battlefield, the eternal struggle of the Baz v Halloween and this one round who was victorious was it the Baz or was it Halloween it was the the creepy wee Japanese Halloween bastards oh Um, I'm going to have to give it to them and like I say I was what got me was I I realised that I had been a bit freaked out and affected by it but I, I wasn't immersed in the film the film kept getting interrupted yeah and I was watching it in not in broad daylight, but it was daylight outside. Um, I, I wasn't, and and I kept thinking, you know, if I had watched that last night with no interruptions, wife away to bed, nobody interrupt, pitch black, I'd have fucking shat myself. <laughs> because 
I don't feel that fucking great right now. Yeah. And it's half twelve on a Sunday afternoon. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Um, and I'm in a shower. Um, it was yeah. And I had to. There's there's no way I could have taken it because I was freaked out enough as it was. In a circumstance that's not ideal for watching horror films. Yeah. Um, and just had I been in that, nah, I wouldn't have had a fucking chance. So it's got to go to Halloween. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, that my uh, my sheet of kind of plotting out where points were going to go has well and truly been scuppered these first two never, weeks. It uh, always is. Yeah. Every year. And it's, you never get it right. The ones you think are going to hammer me never do. And then the ones that you've just chucked in fucking floor me. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the weirdest thing ever. Like I genuinely thought at the end of this this week we were going to be in a position where I had to win the final three weeks hence the way I've stacked up the the shows I genuinely think that the next three weeks are going to be kind of tough um, so I, don't, I don't think we've ever gone into week three head to head um, I don't, I don't think, think we've no. ever gone into each no we haven't no, this is, I'm, this sure, is I'm sure we haven't because uh, we're at the halfway mark, do you know what I mean? And it's still even Stevens. That's never happened before. It's never happened. So, whew, right, uh, I think we take our last break. We come back and close out the show. What do you think, Baz? Let's do it. Right, myself and the Baz, right back, right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been the second episode in year three of baz v halloween we have looked at the devil's backbone from 2001 and nori is that right noroi 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 sounds more japanese actually now i'm thinking about it (laughs) for some reason i've got it as iz but that's german i think um yeah uh, the curse from 2005 and at the end of the second round, the scores are still a draw. That's weird. It's so, so weird. Um, yeah, two points to the Baz, two points to Halloween. We have... Uh, how are you feeling, actually? Yeah, how are you feeling at this this point? Uh, a wee bit punchy, um, because, like we've been saying, we, we've condensed this down into a weekend, so that's four films and two entire episodes recorded over the space of a weekend. Um, so I am kind of reeling back in my heels here and I kind of need to sit down in my corner get a wee sponge to the face or the genitals, whatever um, oh just uh, I kind of feel like I need a wee break and I'm not going to get one because we, we need to get this battered out so yeah, I'm probably going to plunge straight back in this week but um, oh, nice. it's been an intense experience actually which I, that's what Baz V Halloween is supposed to be about Yep. It's not supposed it's, to be an easy ride, so it's fuck it. Full immersion. Let's do it. Yeah, it's, it's full immersion into into horror yeah. for a month. Yeah. Um, so next week, <laughs> uh, this is where I thought. What's like, next? My... I I can't even remember what's up next week. So <laughs> tell me what's next week. Right. Well, we will see. We will see how this will go. Um, the the first feature movie that we're going to cover is the Seasoning House. Right. Um. Never even right. heard of it. Well, obviously, right. I, when you gave me the list, I'd heard of it, but I've never heard of the film at all. A wee bit of an unpleasant watch. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna follow up with a film footage movie that I think will work for you a lot better than it worked for me. So I expect that I will be less positive about this movie than you will. Uh, is a little movie called The Last Exorcism. Um, 
yeah. Yeah, that, that's one that's not that I'm familiar with. I've never seen it, but um, it's been on Sky and Netflix and all that over here for about two years. Every time I yeah. fucking put on Sky or Netflix, it seems to be there. It's been really hyped on TV over here. I uh, will give you a laugh, a creepy, creepy laugh that um, uh, today, you know how like Facebook reminds you on this day you posted this? Yeah, yeah. Um, going back today, of all days, uh, I was flipping through it this morning and I saw this movie <laughs> so, so weird, six years to the day. <laughs> right, you know, The Last Exorcist. Yeah, because I wrote on Facebook is actually rather pissed off with the fucking lack of imagination the writers of The Last Exorcism had. Wicker <laughs> Man meets Blair Witch Project should equal awesome, but ended up equaling out. What the fuck moment. Bit annoyed now. Um, so, <laughs> this, I booed it in the cinema. Like, audibly booed it. What was um, the other one? What was the other one that we watched that you booed? Oh, fuck. There's one that I covered on the show and you're like, yeah, when I saw this, I fucking booed. Was yeah, it, was it the Friday the 13th remakers? Yes. Yeah. Or the... Or, was it the Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> it was Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah, but I got I got booze from me. I was like, boo, boo this film. Um, yeah, it takes it doesn't take that much for me to to boo something, but in a cinema setting, you have to you have to commit some sort of cardinal crime for me to boo it. Um, but I've got this sneaky suspicion it's going to work for you. I don't right. know why. I have this instinct that is going to creep you the fuck out, and it's nothing to do with the fact that it's religious horror. Well, see, what was the last one we did? What was the one with the Debs yeah. or Dexter? Yeah, but this one, this one plays more into the complaints that you had. Is with that Emily the Rose? Dexter. Yeah, Dexter's Emily Rose yeah. is kind of, I would say, is not as visceral as this one. No, so that has um, its moments, but... Yeah, this one's more set to shock and scare. Right. So, yeah, so we're going to be covering that, those two movies. Um, it'll be interesting to see... If we are at the same place at the end of episode three, because if we are Baz, that really means that someone has to get three of the last four in order to win. Yeah, it would it would take it down to the the, the last week. Yeah, which would be part of me would like to see that happen, yeah. but we have to we have to take it as we get it. So there is. As appropriate at this time to say there's a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs if you are we just did all this yesterday so Baz will be sick of hearing it <laughs> um, there's a multitude of ways to check us out if you listen to us through iTunes or this is the first time you're listening to us through iTunes or you sometimes casually check check out our iTunes feed subscribe that way you never miss anything and you have access to our entire back catalogue of episodes um, and if you listen to us on iTunes and you haven't left us a, a review yet Please do. It takes a couple of seconds. Really easy to do. Um, and it's the best way to support what me and Baz do, which is put out this show. Because the more ratings we get from you guys, especially if it's five stars, the higher up the iTunes charts we get pushed. And that just means more visibility for this show for people that are searching for something new to check out. We, so, do, we don't yeah. ask for a single penny. Just give us a goddamn review. Yep, it's, it's free and it means the world. It makes Baz happy. And who would not want to make Baz happy? He looks adorable when he's happy. You <laughs> pitch his cheeks and go, oh, you wait, you want like that. Um, you can also check out the podcast under the stairs on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can check us out on SoundCloud and on our website, which is tputscast.com. 
We have a Facebook group page that we're both immensely proud of. Come across and interact with us over there by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. We also have another two ways to interact with us on the social medias and I am not responsible for them. I have instead let the inmate run the asylum over there. Baz, tell them how they can interact with us <laughs> on Twitter and on Instagram. <laughs> you can uh, you can catch us on Twitter, folks. It is at dputzcast. That literally could not be simpler. Just install it on your goddamn phone. You only need to follow one account at dputzcast. You hit follow every couple of days. I'll say something I've seen that pops up in your phone like magic. Um, Instagram is similar. It's at dputzcast. Um, they have far more stringent rules about showing you my anus and stuff like that so it, it tends to be more the artwork for each, for each week's episode but uh, occasionally you'll get a little belt of like Duncan steaming taking a selfie in a mirror in Edinburgh or oh, me and him creeping about the Edinburgh fringe together <laughs> try, a great thing. trying to go off with Henry Rollins so there's <laughs> stuff like that flies about but uh, by all means folks none of it costs anything just get on there, follow the accounts. Uh, I'd interact, come and say hello, I love it. Just reach out and touch me, folks. Reach out and touch me. Oh, no. Touch me. Uh, there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's not good. Uh, right, so I think we bring this episode to a close. This one's went slightly longer than we're hoping that most of these will run, but... Uh, yeah, if you subtract the twenty-minute Baz rage at you two, were spot on. Yeah, I just um, jump right past the whole bonus shit, folks. We'll, we'll uh, nail the two minute, the two-hour mark, two-minute mark, two-hour two mark. So I quit. Movie was shit. This one was uh, awesome. Movie was bish. Uh, right. So, uh, Baz, would you like to say goodbye to the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the listeners out there? Yeah, folks. I I, I have to go and sleep now, folks. So I will. Um, I will see you all next week for week three of Baz v Halloween 2016. You take it fucking easy. <laughs> and for myself, wherever you are out there, whatever you're doing, whatever you're up to, whatever time zone it is, please take care of yourselves. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs. Sending off. Hey. Hey.